You're listening to episode 51 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. <sighs> All right, we uh, we left New York Comic Con, we're home. Uh, we somehow survived Friday the 13th, and uh, it seems like we dragged someone along here with us. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? I don't know. Have you guys noticed there's a fifth head in the room? They're really interesting. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that, is that Dirk Manning? The Dirk Manning? Uh, well, I'm wearing his underwear. <laughs> well, wait, so am I. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool I forgot about. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, for us, it is Saturday, October 14th, which means, as Phil said, we did survive Friday the 13th. And so we thought we would do... You know, Halloween episode a little bit early, and so we brought along the spookiest comic book creator that we could conjure up, and Dirk Manning appeared. So, hello, Dirk. Hello. All you need to do is summon me is talk about wrestling and horror movies and ice cream. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's right in our wheelhouse. Right, right. All the things that are great in life. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We are honored and very, very excited to have you here, writer of Tales of Mystery, Nightmare World, and the brand new Twisted comic, and another hyper-successful Kickstarter. Congratulations on that, Dirk. Guys, yeah, uh, we launched yesterday, you know, Friday the 13th, um, and we hit our funding goal of $13,000 in three hours, in 13 minutes, at 3.13 on Friday the 13th. Like I said, you can't write stuff like that. Too spooky. Yeah, I mean, if I wrote something like that in a story, people would think it was too hokey. <laughs> they think it's like, oh, give me a break, God. Really, guys? Come on. Come on, Dirk. You can do better than that. But it's just um, pretty incredible. I'm just still pretty blown away by it all. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you to everyone who supported. And now, uh, now we're funded. You know, now it's all about everybody else. Now it's just about how much good stuff I can give to everyone else. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of goodies here on the uh, Kickstarter uh, stretch goals. So you guys set the the pledge amount, the goal that you wanted to hit at thirteen thousand dollars, right? And and today, right, we, this is Saturday morning, not even not even midday, and we're at seventeen thousand four hundred eighty six dollars with thirty days to go. So that is that that is a incredible. I mean, you're t- we're talking about comics, you know. Um, that's that's huge, and we've got a whole list of stretch goals. I mean, I'm looking at this now. The entire round one of stretch goals are unlocked, so that's super cool. Um, as somebody who pledged, I I mean, I, I I'm personally invested in people pledging more. Like, <laughs> I want the rest of this stuff. Well, you know. that's that's kind of the point how we set it up too. You know, uh, I'm always real big, and I say that you know, Kickstarter is not uh, GoFundMe. Kickstarter is a Kickstarter. It's supposed to give you the money to kickstart getting the book published in this case, which we did. The 13,000 kickstarts us and gets us going and gets us pretty much where we need to be to publish the book, you know, um, you know, get the creative team paid and things like that. Now it's all about paying it forward to everyone who's helping make the book possible, you know. So all these stretch goals we have lined up. This is my thank you. Now it's the party. You know, now it's the party. Now it's like, <laughs> how much how much free stuff are you going to get with your book? How much ice cream are you giving away? 
Uh, we actually have the King of the Con, which you get to go, uh, if you pledge at that level, you get, I think pretty much almost every, you get the hardcover, you get the shirt, you get the candles, you get all the stuff. But you also go get to have dinner and uh, ice cream and possibly karaoke with me and a bunch of the other, and if you want, uh, depending on the show you go to, the con, a bunch of other creators. So there actually is an ice cream pledge. Uh, and we've done that last, yeah, about last year when we did it, uh, someone I know, uh, a friend of mine, bought it for her daughter. And uh, so her daughter and her friend wanted to create comics. So we took them out to dinner. I bought them dinner. And we brought them. Uh, they came to a show where the whole Devil's Due crew was there. So Carrie Lynn Smith from uh, Keelan Smith from Plume was there. Uh, T. Mash from Scorriers. Josh Blaylock. So these two young girls got to, like, sit with, you know, me, a bunch of other creators, including, I mean, several female creators, and then just talk about making comics. And we had dinner. We went out to get ice cream. So that is, that is a thing. Uh, king or queen of the con, and you get to uh, <laughs> get to go that route. That's really, really awesome. Uh, and you've got – you can also become a character. You can be a background character in uh, Tales of Mystery Volume 5. And the cool thing is that you know, you've done this pledge before, and Brad Thompson is a recurring character in this story. <laughs> Brad was a super backer early on, did so much to help us out. And uh, his character, yeah, he, he pledged to be a, a character in the the prose story in Volume 1. And what ended up happening was he then he was in the prose story in Volume 2. He was in the prose story in Volume 3. And he has become, especially in Volume 3 and moving into Volume 4, a huge reoccurring character in the series. <laughs> you know, so that's that's pretty intense. That's that's pretty wild. And in fact, I'm just kind of looking through right now. Oh my gosh, all the King of the Cons are gone. Wow. Yeah, like the Antichrist Superstar where you can be a supporting character is gone, but you can still be have a cameo appearance in there. So yeah, you know, and it's a, it's a way we want to we want to reward our backers and things like that and you know, uh, you pledge a little money, you get in on the party as much as you want. So, yeah, and who knows? Like I said, Brad became like the, the character that Brad picked, the Brad Thompson character, who, again, I want to reiterate, is not directly the real Brad Thompson. I mean, he is not a <laughs> demon who goes on murderous rampages and self convinces himself that he's not a bad person for doing it. We're sure of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask him. He'll tell you he's great. It's totally against his nature. But he kills people. That's what he says. Oh, this is totally against my nature. <laughs> but y- yeah, we just want to do stuff to pay it forward to people. Like I said, now it's a party. Now it's a party. So you've got, this is your fourth successful Kickstarter, right? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, technically, I guess it's my, let me think. Well, yeah, till, my fifth one, technically, because the first one we ran through Devil's Due. But we kickstarted now the, the four mystery books, and we did the Nightmare World Omnibus. So okay. technically, it's my fifth one, but the fourth one the first one, Devil's Do Ran, and they did a great job. I mean, the book got funded. I mean, it kickstarted Tales of Mystery, the franchise. But yeah, four, this is my fourth truly hands-on one. Why do you think, what do you think it is that makes these Kickstarters successful? What's your, what's your, I guess, strategy going into doing these? I guess it's twofold. I, I guess at this point, I'm almost kind of convinced people really like my work. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must be doing something, right? You got funded in a day, man. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. I write very non-traditional style of comics. You know, I don't write a lot. And again, not that I have anything against, for example, superhero books, but that's not what I write. To this point, I've not done that. Um, 
And, and, and you know, I, 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 I really put a lot of value in the short story format, for example, and, and things like that. So it's funny because when I got started, if people don't understand, I, I, I do something, I'd like to think that with Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, I do something that's kind of fresh. And as a result, I would always get this really... I'm trying to measure my words here, and I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it up for much longer. I'll, I'll, I'll just be, I'll, we're all friends. I'll just be blunt. I get go. really passive-aggressive comments. Well, Dirk, you know, it's because they really like you. And I'm like, okay, but I, you can like me, but not support my work, you know? And be like, right. no, 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 you know, no. You know, I, I'd, I'd have some uh, authority figures in the industry. Like, oh, no, you know, they buy your books because they like you. And I said, well, you know, maybe because they like me, they buy the first one. I'll give you that, you know, but they don't keep buying just because they like me. They also clearly like the work. And uh, so I, I think part of it is just trying to be approachable and be good to people, you know. And, and again, it's funny because before social media, a lot of people had a very different vision of, I think, the type of person I was. They, you'd read my work. And they would picture, you know, uh, Alistair Black, you know, <laughs> you know, you know really drab, dark, silent guy. And uh, that's not that's not me in in real life, uh, usually, except when I'm writing, I go to that place. But I think part of it's just having good, engaging, fresh work. And then the other big part of having a successful Kickstarter is recognizing that, again, it's not a GoFundMe. I mean, making a comic's a lot of money, making a, a, a graphic novel to the caliber we're making newsflash it costs more than thirteen thousand dollars newsflash it cost more than six thousand six hundred sixty six dollars like we did on the other ones but that was the nest egg we said if we make that amount i'll put in we'll put i'll put in the rest i'll pay up front to do it you know that's fine i'll 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 put it just 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 help get me over the hump show show me show devils do show the world that there's enough interest in this that we could then you know, with the schedule I do on the road and with previews and comic shops and Amazon and comicsology, that we can make this money back. So a big part of it was I was just asking for a little investment from people to help make it possible. And then it's about the third thing is about paying it forward to everyone else. You know, we're sitting at over 17,400 as I talk to you guys right now. And like I said, at this point, it's all about everyone else. I want to give everyone a big box of drugs. I want to unlock the demon exorcism kit. That's what I really want. When you guys order a hardcover, I want you to get the bonus comic, the the triple signed book plate, uh, like I said, the bonus comic, uh, the box of matches, the, the print signed by Ben Temple Smith, and then uh, the, the pinup by Keelan Smith from Plume. And then ultimately, I want to give everyone the Demon Exorcism kit so that, and all that stuff's Kickstarter exclusive. You know, when you get, when you order this book, my thank you is just to give people a bunch of cool freaking swag. You know, um, I don't look at the people that support me as piggy banks. I look at them as my friends and my readers and people that enjoy the world of Tales of Mystery and enjoy my work. And let's just have this big giant party for a month and then uh, give everybody a lot of really cool stuff. And quite frankly, cool stuff that no one else is going to get. I mean, the other thing I think with Kickstarter, too, is you have to appeal to a, to an extent to that, I don't want to say collector's market, but the people that want the really cool swag, you know, pay it forward to people. Pay it forward to the people who are backing you. I say that all the time. Just pay it forward. I, I definitely um, can see that in the way that you approach 
not just the Kickstarters, like it's not just when Kickstarter is happening that you're active. Um, you're, you have the most sort of flourishing community of fans that I have seen. You know, I'm in the Friends of Dirk Manning Facebook group and there's always activity, always conversation. Some of these people clearly have known each other for years. And I mean, I haven't been there for the entire ride, but I'm sure that those are relationships that have been built because of you, but because you created this system and this this community where people come together. And so when you do one of these Kickstarters or you're on the road and people get to see you, it's, it is like, hey, you're my friend. You know, it's not just, hey, you're this creator who I've interacted with on social media. It's, hey, you know, I know who you are on a, on a certain level, right? You know, obviously they don't know everything about you, but, you know, on a certain level, there's that relationship. <laughs> so, so yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of that comes from and not every, creator is willing necessarily to put that time in and i think that that's a big part of why you're successful but to your point if the work wasn't good you know people would see you and say hello and walk by your table right right and there's people that do that there's people that are just absolutely abhorrently not interested in horror do i still think they could pick up something like nightmare world or love stories to die for maybe not tales of mystery i don't know maybe they would and really like it Absolutely. But I'm not interested in hard selling my stuff to people. I know creators and publishers that try so hard for that hard sell and almost guilt people into buying it. And that's fine. When you guilt people, you sell a book. You know, they won't come back. They will actively avoid you next time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about that. I'm And, you know, people just want to come say hi and be friends. Cool, man. You know, uh it's tough because being a writer, I don't have a terribly flourishing social life because I'm writing. My social life is when I go to the cons and I see my friends and I see you guys and I see other readers. And even just that five-minute interaction with someone, I get to chat for a minute, kick it, then they move on to do their thing and I got to move on and do my thing. That's cool, man. And that's such an honor. You know, it's such a – I hate using the word blessing because I'm such a spooky person. But it is, <laughs> you know, to be this guy that – sits in a room like uh, the room I'm sitting in right now and bangs on a keyboard for hours and then can create work that people get behind and get behind to this level. You know, we're to the point now, and again, I'm just going to keep it real. You know, I'm going to, you know, drop the pipe bomb here. You know, there's those people out there saying, Oh, they support your work because they like you, Dirk. That's one book. All right. Nightmare world was $45,000. This one. I mean, and again, and who knows the mystery campaign could stall out at $17,486. Who knows? I don't take anything for granted. I don't take anything for granted, you know, but the fact of the matter is people enjoy the work. They like the work. I, I, I'm honored that they tolerate the guy that makes it, you know, <laughs> but, but then you also look at like, you know, the fact that, you know, Set the Moose and I are working together again, and people are recognizing what an insanely talented comic book artist Set the Moose is, or what an insanely talented colorist Anthony D. Lee is, things like that. You know, that's where it really, the magic happens for me. And like you said, even in my face, the, the Facebook group, I didn't even start that Facebook group. Some friends of mine started as kind of a gag because I'm kind of antisocial in real life, you know, because I'm writing. You know, it's like I, if I had a shirt, it would say, would rather be writing, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. but, um, 
just the connections that people have been able to make and people recognizing, holy shit, Seth the Moose is really good, or holy crap, Anthony D. Lee's, you know, we were talking about before we went on the air, this amazing colorist. And then other people in that Facebook group to get to meet other people. And then we all get to rally together because, like I said, the Kickstarter now is about everyone else. I'm funded. We're good. Unless something catastrophic happens that we lose $4,000 in pledges, we're good. Now I just want to pay for it to everyone else. We have this big party, and, and the more everyone spreads the word and kicks in, the more everybody's going to get. So um, it's just an honor to be able to connect people in this way and provide people to work and, and tell really good stories that, again, because people like them so much, we can do whatever the hell we want. We can burn everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of burning everything, uh, obviously the Kickstarter – project that you're working on is Tales of Mystery Volume 4 Everything Burns, which I'm super excited about. Now, you were gracious enough to provide us with some, uh, you know, some some material from the book, uh, <laughs> some exclusive previews, uh, which is very, very cool, and we all got the chance to check some of that stuff out, and one of the things that really stuck out was the art. You mentioned Seth Seth the Moose, you mentioned Anthony D. Lee, and Pete had a particularly strong reaction to some of that work. So, Pete, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, Anthony's work really, really um, struck a chord with me. And, and I know uh, he's worked on, on Mystery in the past, but I think specifically, we were talking about it off air, I, I really like his use of... Um, of color theory, but even more than that, like just the textures, you know, that like when they're like close ups on characters or, you know, um, just like simple things like conversations that could otherwise be pretty mundane. Um, he is always kind of like putting in these textured colored backgrounds that really give it like it almost feels like um, like anime or something like that, you know, where there's just like a very visual style and even just looking through the art of it um, without like the text you can get a sense of the uh kind of emotional beats of the story and i think like that that really speaks to the quality of the art right oh man and you haven't even seen chapter three yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah um here's the secret anthony uh i'll kind of out anthony a little bit on this i think he mentioned this publicly at one point or another he's coloring tales of mystery volume four like a romance comic Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're right. When you look at it, you look back in that sense. But yet yeah. the, first, the first two chapters, you have this big rampaging fire demon. You have all this stuff going on, all these crazy things happening. And, and when you get to volume three and we really start to turn the focus back to mystery and charity and Ganon and all this stuff a little bit, you'll see it more. But He's because you know ultimately I think in real life what people really want is a romance. Most people want a romance story. They want they want to find someone they love. They want to be in love. They want to have that connection to carry them through life till the end of days, or the end of their days. Um, and he's coloring this like a romance comic with that that really interesting. I don't want to say pastel palette. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but this this very rich real world kind of palette but then as it 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 drama it dramatizes i don't know if that's even the right word but it makes much more dramatic the violence and the horror that happens you know uh as we as we go through this and um 
gosh, there's so much I want to say. I will say I've never written more to a colorist than when I've started working with Anthony. Um, and when we did tell, when Seth and Anthony and I did Tales Mystery Volume 2 together, he started doing this thing when he started getting comfortable. He's like, what do I want to do with this page is blah, blah, blah. And he'll send us this little narrative of things he's doing as he writes or as he, as he colors, sorry, colors these pages. And it's just incredible. And when he finally revealed that to us, he goes, you guys know I'm coloring. It's like a romance comic. Like there's, there's certain pages I'll show that I'm like, like you said, I, I kind of, I was just like that silence. I'm like, Oh yeah. And it's like, it, it clicks, you know, once you said that I can, I can totally see it. And I think um, you, I wanted to touch on something you just said about the pastels. I think it's really cool how uh, his use of more muted tones um, for like the flashback sequences. And we were talking about off mic about how every time there's a Mr. Re flashback, it's all in reds. And uh, I, I really, you know, again, I, I think, uh, you said that it can kind of be jarring for some readers at first, but what I really liked uh, stuff like that because I think it, it does a really good job of just visually signaling the the vibe that we're going for, right? Like, it makes me think, like, well, why are all of Mystery's flashbacks in red when everyone else's aren't? This isn't just what flashbacks look like. Like, this is obviously an interpretation of kind of, like, what's going on um, with his, you know, like you know, his inner turmoil and everything. And I think um, that kind of stuff is the kind of thing that I think a lot of times goes unnoticed and, and under um, recognized, not under recognized, that's like redundant, but underappreciated. Yeah. Where like you feel what is happening while you're reading it, but you don't necessarily recognize that that's why you're feeling that way. And um, I really think that there's a lot going on here with, with what Anthony's doing. And uh, I'm just really impressed, you know, just by these these two issues that we've we thumbed through, and, and like we said over there, man, I can't encourage you enough just to get Anthony on the air. You'll get to hear his wonderful British accent as well, but just to talk to him about all this stuff in much greater detail than I can. Oh, we would love um, to. <laughs> yeah, I'll connect you guys on on the the internet. Like I said, like I was talking to Sean a moment ago, connect good people to good people. You know, that's 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 what you should do in life. But yeah, um, I've played the long game on this series. You know, even coloring volume one all in the black and white gray, the grayscales knowing that I wasn't going to do that moving forward made, uh, made people very, made some publishers very leery about the book, you know, like, Oh, you know, you're doing this black and white book with a, with a black lead character and blah, blah, blah. And you know, you're doing this short story approach. I'm like, yeah, I'm playing the long game. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right. That is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, but they would get mad. They thought I wasn't, they thought I was an asshole or something, you know, because they're like, who the hell are you to play the long game? I'm like, you know who I am? I'm drug motherfucking man. No, I would say, I would say uh, I'm very dedicated, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this regardless of what exter- ex- external support I have. And that's why I was very fortunate to work with Devils Do because Devils Do came into this and said, uh, "I talked to Josh Blaylock, and he said, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're doing here, and I see you stumping. Let's try it.' And and again, and I'm very open about this. I'm sure Josh would be as well." There was a certain amount of trepidation. There was trepidation about launching the Kickstarter on Friday the 13th. You don't launch Kickstarters on Fridays. You launch them on Tuesdays. And I'm like, MF or listen, it is a Friday the 13th in October. We're launching on Friday. And he just knows. He's like, okay, on your head be it. Like, that's right. And here we are. We're good. Everything's okay. You know, uh, is Saturday and Sunday going to be a little slower? Of course. Well, Monday we kick it, pick it back up again hard. 
I hope so. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm not worried. We got, we got, we're good. We're in a really good spot right now. And again, now it's just about getting people as much stuff as possible. But, but coming back to the thing, with the, the reason how this relates to Anthony is that same thing. Take risk and know that what we were doing was playing into that long narrative. Whenever you now, whenever you see red, you know that's a mystery flashback. And you're right; it represents where he is at in his life. Even when we get into volume four. Everything is seemingly starting to kind of come together for him a little bit. And I, he, he's in this place. Um, eh, do I want to say that? Yeah, I will. He meets Charity's mother. He goes to the promise group and things are progressing well with Charity. And things are starting to look almost like they could start to get rosy, even though a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings on Charity. Ree's moving in this relationship with her. And then, oh, by the way, Ranibus is back. and uh and things start to get chaotic from there but using seth's very animated art style on this volume and using anthony's very rich and complex color theory we knew going in what we were going to do with this and and i'm just glad that people that have seen more of the work like you are are recognizing that and that's our our hope too that when people read volume four they're going to see this collaborative effort of what seth and anthony and i bring the table as a unit when we do something like this. So Yeah, ex- right. And, and I think it's funny because I really think that like that whole thing plays into the, the narrative of like your success, right? Is that like you've been putting in the work for so long that now you're at a place where you can like really just do what you want to do with this, with this edition of, of mystery. Right. And like it's paying dividends, you know, you can see a really noticeable growth from volume one to volume four in every way. And like, it's, it's been, you know, I haven't been on, I jumped on the book in volume two. Um, but it's been exciting to like, feel like you're a part of that, you know, and, and get to watch the book grow and not only just in quality, but in like audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, ultimately, I mean, you know, I would, uh, you don't want to write a book in a vacuum. You want people to read it and enjoy it. And even in New York last week, People coming up and like, oh my gosh, blah, 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 and this charity thing, what's going on here, or this plot, or this plot, or the the thing in space, is that going to tie in later in volume three, you know, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 chapter, you know, what's going on with that, you know, and people getting into it and starting to ask the questions that, as a writer, I want them to ask and want them to be invested in, because, you know, we put out a rebook once a year. It's kind of our schedule. Uh, could we do an ongoing monthly type thing? Yeah, probably. But I would rather I, I approach my again, I play this long game approach where I approach my my career with this stuff as a, much more of a a prose author, I guess, than a comic book monthly guy. I would rather put out one big giant chunk of book once a year and when you know it's October, it's re season. You know, uh, but to get to play that long game, and you're right, and tell the stories we want to tell them. Uh, volume three was a very non-traditional way of telling a story. Volume four is a 120-page OGN. It's the end of Act One of Mystery, just this big, massive culmination of everything that's come before it and everything that's coming next. Um, so, yeah, to get to play that long game and get to do what we want and take, and, and, and I don't say take readers on this journey, but take this journey with our readers uh, is is cool man so thank you thank you and everyone for making that possible absolutely um and again it's a testament to the work you know uh people are here because they like it uh and that matters doing good work matters uh phil you had the chance to check out some of the previews um that we were 
given access to are the first two chapters. And you seem to be really into the dialogue and some of the twists and turns. Now, of course, we're not going to spoil anything here unless Dirk spoils it himself. Um, but can you talk a little bit about why you liked it and what you kind of saw that you think people will be into when they get the chance to read this? <clears throat> I think people need to read this and be aware of the fact that the Mark of the Beast is real and it is closer <laughs> to the heart than one might realize. And Dirk, I don't know what kind of magic you're conjuring to make this all reality. <laughs> I'm just commenting on reality as I see it, Phil. That's the thing. You can tell that Phil's kind of traumatized right now. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I said before you read it, I said, this is going to change you the way you look at some things. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then reading <laughs> And it just got real quiet, and he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I'm just cackling in laughter. Um, yeah, make no mistake. That's not me defining reality. That's me reflecting upon it. That's even worse. <laughs> Welcome to horror. <laughs> Welcome to my world. That's what I mean. The, the scene that Phil's talking about, a, a scene in Chapter 2, and I'm not going to spoil the scene, but there's a scene in Chapter 2, I will say um, – when Ranibus and Thelma Lushkin meet and fans of nightmare world or fans of mystery, hopefully just got a little excited about hearing that Ranibus and Thelma Lushkin meet in chapter two of volume four of tales of mystery, which by the way, if you go to Kickstarter, put in tales of mystery, Mr. R H E E, or just look up Dirk Manning. It'll come up. Just go to bitly.com slash everything burns. We'll also bring you there. We'll have a link to those down below too. If you guys want to just click on right through. Click on it while we're chatting here, but uh, check it out. But yeah, there's, there, so there's a scene where Thelma Lushkin and Ranibus meet. And um, yeah, it's a scene that I've wanted to write since very early in Nightmare World. And I want to talk about this scene. And again, this is playing the long game where some people were like, who the hell are you? You're, you're, you're planting seeds in a book now that's not going to come out for another seven years. Yeah. <laughs> you know and, and i think the great it's funny i read an article about the great myth of the structure of a show like breaking bad how it was written that way from beginning to end or battlestar galactica was written that way from beginning to end or lost and oftentimes people don't know the end point and i haven't watched this show yet but it's on my list is the wire and i guess the, the guy was saying the wire is one of the only shows they had it a tight outline of how the whole series is going to be written mm. with me. I know how tales of mystery ends. I've known how it ended the whole series ends since before I began writing it. And while there's certain, obviously evolutions and twists and turns and, and things like that, I know the beats to the end of the whole story and we're, and we're moving. We're always moving in that direction. But that scene that has uh feel so traumatized right now, and, and, and Phil, I, I want to say I apologize because you're never going to look at the world the same way again, are you? <laughs> All I know is that the New World Order is going to manifest itself in a very unusual way. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean Kevin Nash. No, no, yeah, yeah. Too, too sweet, cease and desist. <laughs> or here's the real question, man. Has it already? Yeah, the uh, the way I see it, the dominoes are falling. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. They're falling incredibly quickly. Uh, people that know me always say I'm an old soul. And I think part of it is when I was in high school, I could have chosen to take typing on a typewriter or a computer, keyboarding. 
I know. Laugh all you want, you kids. But I took it on a I took it on a typewriter because I said specifically, uh, why am I going to take uh, why am I going to take computer class? It's not going to be a scientist, you know. And as a result, like when I came up as a creator, the big social media was message boards, which were like online bulletin boards. Uh, I came up when when cell phones became prevalent. Now we have these little computers in our pockets, and and I watched the rise of social media, uh, the rise of MySpace. You know, I mean, you know, Friendster was there and things like that. But then, like MySpace really blew up, and and I owe a lot of my career to MySpace because it allowed me to get my work in front of the eyes of a lot of of, of, of fans of horror and, and horror comics. But my point being, I was kind of there in the old world, and I'm kind of and I'm now I kind of live in the new world, and I'm in that spot. And and mind you, any generation I think you can look at this. You know, our grandparents can talk about the rise of computers in general or whatever, or television, things like that. But when you look at how much things are changing so quickly, I think some, I think we are moving so fast. It's the old Jurassic Park example. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm. There's a bit in chapter two of Tales of Mystery Volume 4 where I talk about that. And, and I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes to... You know, some people are going to roll their eyes at me and say, okay, whatever. But like my editor, Leah Letterman, who's again, one of the unsung heroes of my work, I, I usually, even with my publisher, I just give Devil's Do the finished product. I'm like, here you go. And it's very rare that people do a lot of editorial insight into my work, just because I get some kind of a prick. But, <laughs> you know, I have a singular creative vision with my team, uh, is maybe how you would put it. When I wrote that scene... I originally, I, I, I originally envisioned this scene that you'll all see about the New World Order, the way it is now. And at the last moment, I changed it to something else. And I gave the script to Leah to edit and look at it for me, get a second pair of eyeballs on it because I respect her judgment. And she helps me keep some Dirkisms out of my writing sometimes. <laughs> and she goes, why don't you do it about X, which is the thing that you're talking about? And I go, oh my God, Leah, that's why I had the first time and I changed it the last moment. I don't know why. She's like, no, 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 it's totally X. And she goes, I knew that you were going for X. I don't know why you changed it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. So um, <laughs> I think a job of a writer sometimes to comment on how we see the world. But I think also, furthermore, the job of a horror writer is to write a story that's not necessarily gross, but resonates. And I'm glad that that scene resonated and will continue to resonate because uh, I hope now when you go to work Monday and or you go out this weekend and enjoy yourself, you just start looking around the world a little bit differently. Maybe look at even some things you keep in your life a little bit differently because um, Google is Google is uh, Google is God. That's all I'm going to say. There's actually a, a theory out there that the Church of Google. And if you never looked into it, it's pretty fascinating and pretty terrifying that uh, how much of our information we give away to other people. And what that yeah. could mean some and what that could mean someday. And that's all I've got to say about that. Right now in my head, I feel like uh, the crackpot that has a bunch of newspaper clippings like on the board and it's like Roman Reigns is gonna win at the Royal Rumble, and this is why the New World Order, Google, it's all related. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you read uh, Nightmare World, there is a st- the story that introduces Dumolution called a therapy for pain is about that guy. He's this crackpot guy who has all the newspaper click, uh, clippings and the big uh, uh, a pocket chart or whatever you call it with all the strings. And and he goes and he tries to kill Thelma Lushkin because he's convinced that she's part of this big New World Order scheme. 
And he's a guy that connects all the dots between so many of the Nightmare World stories. And obviously, you know, Thelma was in Nightmare World and leads to mystery. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, good. That's the point. You know, I, I as a fan of horror, the, my favorite stories are the ones that resonate with me. Like a movie like Let the Right One In. Not the American remake Let Me In, but the original. Um, there's things in that story that just changed the core of who I am. And that's what good horror should do. It should change the core of who you are. And I'm hoping we do that several times in Tales of Mystery Volume 4, that we just resonate with readers to the point where we just change things. I, uh, I, at some point there, I thought you were saying that there's a night wor- nightmare world story about Roman Reigns. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, Roman Reigns is my nightmare, so that would be appropriate. <laughs> but... Uh, he should start a stable called Nightmare World. <laughs> I, I uh, the Nightmare World Order. Um, yeah, that's a whole separate podcast. We can talk about that, but uh, I'll just say, you know, there's something to be. I just finished the other night. I read Hellboy in Hell. I didn't read it when it came out. I waited for the big library edition, and I read it. And I'm not going to spoil the ending of of Hellboy. Aside to say it's called Hellboy in Hell for a reason. And it's interesting because Mike Mignola talked about how originally Hellboy in Hell was going to be this long, ongoing thing. And then maybe it was going to be like 20 issues. And he says he wrote this one scene that kind of quickly escalated him towards the end, much faster than he anticipated. And I got to the end of it, and it was like, Wow he really adhered to a very strong singular vision and the ending of Hellboy in Hell, it's very personal to him, clearly. And it should be. I mean, that's a book he wrote for all his life. I mean, Hellboy's his baby, you know. And uh, there's something to be said for adhering to a strong singular vision, but then there's something else for being tone deaf. And I think WWE right now is being all tone deaf. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> now, now again, Alan Moore said the best. He goes, it's my job as a comic writer to tell people what they want. And in wrestling, I think Vince McMahon is like, I'll tell you what you want right now. You want a Samoa named Joe? I've got one. Goddamn. <laughs> there's a fine line to walk there. You know, there's a very fine line to walk. So just got to be aware of it. Um, like I, said, I know how Mr. Tales Mystery is going to end. People are going to like it or they're going to hate it. I don't know. Some people, I, I, I suspect most people, well, I don't know. I don't know. It really depends. But at the end of the day, hey, it, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But at the same time, I also try to be very respectful of the fact that people are supporting this book and uh, not, not, not spit in their faces. So you're not going to be like, God damn, I'll tell you what to like. I'm Dirk Manning, motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, I do to an extent because, you know, <laughs> you know, um, there's going to be a lot of things that happen in the book that people aren't going to like. It's a horror book, but I also am a- I'm asking people to trust and respect my vision of what's going on. I think sometimes in wrestling, sometimes the promoters do things just to flex their muscles at the fans. Like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. No, you know, there's a long-term plan with what I'm doing here, and I, and I hope people will trust me on this journey. But I'm also never going to piss on the people that support my work either or if i am pissing on them i promise you it's it's only because the plan was there all along and just that the payoff will be worth it so you get a little wet but it'll all be worth it in the end <laughs> and why am i 
Why am I talking about peeing on people? I'm not like some weird German kink person. It happens on this show a surprising amount, Derek. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. And, you know, I, I fell right into the trap. I said I wouldn't. But let's be honest. You know, we talk about Roman Reigns, and then we all feel like we're being pissed on. So let's just move on. We're not the president. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what is this week coming? Um, so I wrote this comic that's on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I'll, I'll bring it back to comics um because you did write uh a comic book where you kind of worked with twisted uh called haunted high ons uh i i was hesitant to even read it because my copy is a new york comic-con exclusive uh and signed by the whole team so i i pulled it out very delicately you know trying to be cautious but um did you wear gloves I didn't wear gloves. God damn it, Sean. I know. <laughs> uh, so I, I happen to see that this comic is going for like $99 on... Um, 399 Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, then. Guess I should have worn those gloves. Uh, no, just kidding. I would never sell it. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to ask... We, we You know, we talked in New York Comic Con. That interview is going to be up. It's probably up now if you're listening to this. But... Um, Dirk Manning Day. That's right. Dirk Manning Day. Uh, Monday is Dirk Manning Day. When this drops, we got all of our Dirk Manning content up. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, how did you, how did you kind of connect with that? Oh, therein lies a tale. Um, <laughs> long story short, I did music journalism for about ten years before I started writing comics. Um, so that's one piece of the puzzle. Another piece of the puzzle was when I went to collect my right or wrong column in print. Ultimately, I went with Caliber Comics, who was run by Gary Reed. I'd known Gary for a while. He was a very, very good guy. Um, I say was because we lost Gary about a year ago, very unexpectedly. Uh, he was the best. He, he was just a real bastion of integrity. He would just tell you how it was. He's like, look, this is what's up, blah, blah, blah. And I've never done this before, and I don't know if I'll ever do this again. When I took right or wrong to Gary to publish it through Caliber, we, uh, the initial deal was a handshake deal. Literally, it's C2E2. I'm like, hey, man, I want, I'd like Caliber to publish this. He's like, okay, boop, done. Wow. Yeah, that was it. And then we worked out the details as we moved along, but that was it. And I'm normally a, I'm normally an MFer when it comes to contracts. I mean, my lawyers, lawyers have lawyers because good contracts keep good friendships. You know, that's the thing. People a lot of times are scared to talk about contracts and money. No, you talk about that up front so everyone can stay friends. So... Gary, in the meantime, had somehow gotten in touch, been in touch with uh, George uh, uh, Valakis, who was the manager of Twisted, and they wanted to do a comic book. And Gary said, I had a very good relationship with Gary, and he's like, in fact, it was funny, we used to rip Gary about wrestling. Whenever it was time for Gary to leave, we'd start talking wrestling. He's like, I'm out, and he'd get up and walk <laughs> out. He also loved karaoke. No, he didn't. He hated it. But anyway. <laughs> oh, he liked things on ice cream, Dirk. I'm trying to think if I ever had ice cream with Gary. I don't know if I ever did. That's a good question. You know, we never really had ice cream together. We talked about it. We had Shirley Temples together. Um, we never had ice cream. God damn it. But uh, he was great regardless of his. Uh, yeah, he actually liked our karaoke because he said it was more like a performance when, when Dan Doherty and I said like Clint would perform. But anywho, um, <laughs> so. When, when Twisted came to Gary and said, you know, we want to make a comic book, he goes, I got a guy. 
And Gary approached me and said, now, look, they're very particular about their brand, blah, blah, blah. But you have a lot of music journalism background. And you kind of know this stuff works. And we chatted and Twisted gave Gary, gave the manager, gave Gary, gave me the idea of what they wanted to do. And I looked at it and I told Gary, I said, I know Twisted because I used to work with ICP a little bit back in the day when they came up. And Twisted, for a long time, were kind of protégés of ICP, although now they've both gone in their separate directions and their separate orbits. Um and I kind of saw the story that, that Paul and Jamie wanted to tell and looked at it. And I said, okay. And I wrote a script, gave it to Gary to give to George, to give to Twisted. You know, uh, that's the thing people, I think, don't realize sometimes is the level of, of uh, layers that go into this type of thing. And Gary was like, now be ready because these guys are real particular because they manage their brand very strongly. Twisted's been around like 20 years now. That's insane for a band to be around that. I mean, they keep putting out albums that keep getting better. I mean, they're a legacy band, but much like me, in a sense, they're underground. You know, uh, they don't get played on the radio. You know, they're doing a lot of mainstream stuff, yet they've been rocking and rolling, putting out an amazing library of work for a long time. Well, Twisted loved the script. They had one or two very, very minor changes, and their manager was even like, Dirk, you don't get it. These guys are never happy, and they love this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got popped the collar, said, cool, man. Well, you know, and uh, so we went from there. We, we talked some more um, and then it was a matter of getting an artist on board. I had been working with Mariana and Alessandro on a couple small ideas for books and Mariana and Alessandro are amazing artists. Amazing. Mary's the illustrator. Al- Alessandro's the colorist. They're fantastic. But nothing was clicking. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about how you want to find the right person for the right job. I write tales of mystery. When I write a volume for Seth and Anthony, I write it to them. When I wrote it for Josh, I wrote it to him. You know, when I write a script for Austin, I write it to Austin, you know, or whatever, whoever it may be, or Len, or on and on. And and Mary and Alessandro did the script to the first, did the illustrated the first issue of Tales Mystery Chapter 3, which is basically two people sitting in a coffee shop talking. That's them, <laughs> you know, but they nailed it. Well, I was trying to find a bigger thing to work with them on, and, and I could put them on anything. Any project I wanted to write, they would do fine. But nothing was just quite, didn't have that spark to me. It's like, this is good, but it's just not, it's not it. Well, the Twisted Opportunity came along, and I said, ding, 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 ding. I said, "Hey guys, what about this?" And they're they're from Italy, so they play. They listen to some of Twisted's work and like, whoa! And Alessandro is a DJ. He's a beat maker. Oh, right, right. See, and all of a sudden, this all started to click together. So they did some drawings up of Jamie and Paul. Jamie and Paul loved their, their renditions of themselves by them, and off we went to the races. And here we are. We debuted the book at New York Comic Con through Source Point Press. Um. Originally, this was going to be a caliber book, but Gary passed away, and some things changed. We got all worked out, and now it's going through source point. And um, Twisted's happy. I'm happy. Stay tuned for news on what's next after this one shot with all of us again. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. That's that's kind of how that all came together. But Gary was really the linchpin on this. And, and, and I was, let me point this out, too. I was exceptionally excited to bring Twisted uh, Haunted High-Ons 
to SourcePoint Press because SourcePoint's a Michigan-based publisher. Twisted's from Michigan, you know, and and doing so much right. And I wanted to help give them, they're doing a book with Billy Bob Thornton, they're doing the Halston book, but I wanted to give them another marquee book that really would work into their business model of what they're doing. Um, Travis is a guy I kind of helped get rolling back in the day a little bit, helped connect some things with him to get him going. And, you know, uh, Bob Sally's there, Casey Pierce is there, you know, Josh. I mean, a lot of great creators who I really like are doing work with SourcePoint. So to get to take this big marquee book to SourcePoint, again, connecting good people to good people. And everyone's really happy. Everyone's jazzed up. Everyone's excited. Uh, We're doing a a signing in Michigan, uh, me and the band at Comics and More uh, in Madison Heights on November 11th. That's a comic shop that's always really supported me. Um, so again, they're gonna have an exclusive cover there and, uh, yeah, we're just gonna rock and roll, man. And, uh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the chance to read the comic, uh, like I said earlier, and, uh, I didn't know what to expect because I know what you do, but I'm not super familiar with Twisted. Uh, I know that I like Mariana's art. I know that I like Alessandro, but I didn't know what the story was. Um, I really liked it. Honestly, um, it's a lot of fun. I, there were there were a few moments where I laughed out loud, and that's that's not typical for you know a horror comic. Um, but you know, it's like what you were saying. It's not it's not jump scares. You know, it's not like trying to freak you out necessarily. It's more like stuff that resonates with you and stuff that's fun and stuff that's engaging and that you think about after the fact. And even after I read it, I would think about some of those gags. There was a particular one. Um, I'm not going to like spoil too much, but <clears throat> and if oh, so, okay. So there's a particular moment where, you know, they're in this, this like haunted house or a house they think is haunted. And there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a picture on the wall. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm just, you know, I'm looking at the backgrounds and I'm like, wait, holy shit, that's Dirk Manning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like they drew me on one side and Alessa Crowley on the other. Yeah, you know. Uh, Yeah, and it's funny because Twisted is a, it's a funny book, but it's a scary book too. I kind of bring it to like an adult Scooby-Doo. Yeah. You know, Twisted, the book Haunted Highons is about these two guys who pretend to be ghost hunters but then ended up getting called to a house with a real demon. And it, it represents what Twisted does. They're funny and they're scary. Twisted's a horrorcore rap band, but they're also very funny. And they're huge geeks like us. They love comics. They love wrestling. They 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 love horror. They're 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 comic geeks and horror geeks especially. And it's funny, even during the signing, like they snuck away to go buy more Funko Pops. I'm like, guys, get back. We have we we you know, we have people lined up to sign these books, but they got the New York Comic Con and they were wigging the fuck out, man. That's great, man. And they like, we're gonna go to the restroom real quick. And I'm like, I'm like, no, don't let them, don't let them. They're gone. I'm like, they're New York Comic Con. What are you guys doing? I'm gonna make Korea signing. And they come back with like bags of Funkos. And I tell Jamie and Paul, I'm like, you motherfuckers. I go, I go, they sell Funkos in the bathroom now, huh? They go, okay. like, get over here. We have books aside. This guy's waiting to do an interview. And I was like, oh, they're, cause they're geeks like us. And when I've been to the, the studio and stuff, when I walked in, you know, and your studio is, you know, an extension of you. And you walk in and there's like the demon dog head from Ghostbusters. Friday the 13th stuff, and just horror stuff and, and 
Yeah, they're great guys. I love working with them. And it was fun to write a book that, and again, I think sometimes people forget that I can write stuff that's kind of funny. Nightmare World, there's a lot of humor sprinkled in. There's even some occasional laughs and, and tales of mystery to, to lighten up the mood. But I can be funny too. You know, Knee Deep in the Dead is one of people's most uh, favorite Nightmare World stories. It's a comedy one. Uh, but it was good to get to bring in that kind of lighter tone to it. And it's something that uh, when we announce what we're doing next will continue to be the case. Awesome. That's very exciting. Humor and horror. Yeah, it's it's funny, man, because, you know, um, like you said, uh, Twisted has always kind of had an association with um, ICP traditionally. And, like, I grew up with a lot of friends that were into ICP, which was never really my thing. So, like, I've always known Twisted, and I'm pretty familiar with their music. And, like, getting to meet them, I was, like, really surprised by just, like, how sweet they were. You know? Like, they were, like, very, very friendly to us. Um, Don't break kayfabe. Oh, come they're monsters. on. <laughs> they're spooky monster men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, that's the thing, too. It's funny, because I'm a metal guy. A lot of people are like, dude, what are you doing with a book with Twisted? And I'm like, they're fucking cool guys, and good is good. They're good. I love a lot of the Twisted albums. You know, I, I big. You know, they're they're great, and, and and they're great guys, and they're professional. They work hard, and and again, you know, I worked with IC. I worked with ICP back in the day. I mean, they wouldn't. I don't know if they'd remember me at this point. It's been so many years ago. They may, they, may they do. Who knows? You know, even ICP and then Twisted as well. You don't last as long as you have by not having a savvy business mind about it. Oh yeah, right. I mean, especially when you think about when they came up. It was like in the infancy of the web, you know, and like being an underground horrorcore rap band in like the 90s was like, and they started their own wrestling federation and shit. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like they they were, you know, their own record label. Like, you know, say what you will about them, but like you got to respect the hustle, you know? That was exactly, and working with bands like ICP it did a lot to help me in my own approach, you know, like I said, I mean, when you look at the timeline of like Twisted and myself and, and George and I, the manager, have talked about this, we've been kind of on the same path in our own genres, you know, and in fact, I, I called George yesterday, he's up in Canada, I'm like, hey man, I go, I emailed you a link, did you look at this yet? And he's like, I'm in Canada, my service is spotty, and I said, yeah, we, we, we launched the Kickstarter for uh, Tales of Mystery Volume 4, and we just hit our goal $13,000 in three hours and 13 minutes. It's like, holy shit. I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, this is a thing. I said, if we're going to do more work, you know, you know, Kickstarter could be a way to do some really cool stuff with Twisted. You know, not that they need it, clearly, but a way to help connect and bring people in and do some really cool stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you said it earlier, like I, I really think that the like once a year Kickstarter model is perfect for, for Mr. Rian and for like stuff that's like more event ish, like not event in like the traditional comic way, but like it makes an event out of the release of the next volume. So it isn't just a thing that you're checking in on every month. It's like a thing that like you wait for all season, you know? Well, right. And, and hopefully, you know, and this year, I mean, um, we had a couple of really cool things lined up uh, and some things that are going to involve Kickstarter, you know, honestly, um, you know, in February, we're hoping to move ahead with Mariachi, um, which is a book I'm doing with John Marroquin and Chris Sanchez. Then in May, what I'm, I'm also super excited about this, Greenbrier Games is going to be doing a Tales of Mystery Nightmare World tabletop game. So cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, we're going to be doing that. We we need to play that. We need to find a way to record us playing that game. We can do that. <laughs> I actually play tested it a couple times now. And uh, asymmetrical gameplay, 40-minute game tops. The game only goes six rounds. Uh, so you're against a, a ticking clock in the game. And it doesn't take long to set up at all. It's like one step above a party game in complexity. But again, I think this is going to be a game that changes changes the game for a lot of things that are going to come after it. Um, I've been able to work with uh, Julie and Josh and all that at Greenbrier to put this together, and it's amazing. It sounds awesome. I mean, you told us all about it at NYCC, and it just sounds so cool. Uh, it's very, very different than any other board game I've ever played, and I've played a lot of them. And it has a horror aspect to it, too, you know. So um, we got that coming out in May, and then... Um, We'll see what happens between May and October when we work on uh, when we release Tales of Mystery Volume Five. Awesome! I, you always have a bunch of different stuff going on, and it's exciting to keep up with all that. Um, being a fan of yours is really cool because you're at the point now where you can do, you know, a few a few different things that are cool each year. You know, and so whenever I go to see you uh, at these conventions, there's always something that I don't own. You know, so yeah, well, that's um, that, that's a point of my convention strategy too. Is like if I come back to Philly or New York, I want to have something new, at least one new thing. Okay. And I'll tell you, um, I've been playing my cards real close to my chest, but I will tell you guys because we're all pals, if you will. See what I did yes. there. Um, getting Nightmare World off my bandwidth has freed me up now to start moving into some more cool stuff, including more Tales of Mystery, including Mariachi, and including some other new projects that, uh, yeah, it's um, uh, a lot of, if you're a fan of what I write, and if you've liked Nightmare World, you like Love Stories to Die For, if you like uh, Tales of Mystery, the stuff that's coming next is going to be very exciting and very fresh and uh, a real reward for everyone that's been taking this journey with me so far. Awesome. Can't wait for that. Yeah, we can't wait. So, we we're we're running out of time here with you, uh, but I was hoping we you could play with us one quick game. We do this with every guest that comes on the show, and so I mean you've you've got to you know you've you've got to represent yourself against a slew of people who have come on this show, played this game, beat us for the most part, um, and and I want to see how you stack up. So can we do that? We can. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna press. I'm like. I'm a smidge under the weather. So if I lose, I'm totally blaming residual content. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Built-in excuse. I like it. Pete, take it away. All right. So, um, so the, the name of the game is uh, Apples and Origins, and basically, uh, we we put a minute on the stopwatch. We go around the circle, and uh, each one of us, when it's our turn, is going to. Um, basically just pile on an aspect and we're gonna like kind of crowdsource develop uh, either a character an idea for a comic uh, a superhero team whatever it is and then at the end each one of us has to come up with a title for what we've developed and then we have to vote on who wins and that's how you decide who takes the round and you're not allowed to vote for your own title yeah I know that oh I'm never good at titles too that's what I'm worried about but okay let's do this all right, so uh, generally we let the guests pick the first thing to kind of like get the ball rolling. So, um, yeah, why don't you pick the first characteristic, Dirk? The first characteristic of, do we want to do a character or? Uh, Whatever you want. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that'll stack the odds in my favor to win. Um, <laughs> so let's go with an octopus. All right, so we're going to start with an octopus. We'll go, uh, the order of, of the turn will be Dirk, Marco, Sean, Phil, me. And uh, so we'll start with one minute on the clock right now in three, two, one. 
The octopus is a dad whose uh, eight children have perished. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. Uh, the op- the octopus is black. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus has a garden under the sea. <laughs> uh, so the octopus is pulled away from his garden after all his children are killed because he has to go help his friend destroy some kind of ring. <laughs> uh, the ring is a set of one of eight rings. <laughs> uh, the uh, octopus, instead of inking, uh, it shoots out fire. Oh my god. <laughs> the the main antagonist of the octopus is the New World Order, run by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus sleeps in a coffin to remind him of his children. <laughs> Everyone in the New World Order is a squid. <laughs> it's over now. So <laughs> our minute's up. So now let's recap all of these elements and then we'll take our second minute and name the book. Oh, boy. All right. So we've got a book starring a black octopus whose eight children have been killed. uh, And as a result, he has to go on a journey with his friend who he never named to destroy one of eight magical rings. Uh, His antagonist is the New World Order of Squids. (laughs) Run by Squid Hogan. Run by Squid Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of inking, he shoots fire. And was he, that it? He sleeps in a coffin and he has a garden. Oh yeah, but his garden was destroyed. So, <laughs> and he sleeps in a coffin to remind himself of his dead children. <laughs> if 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 he lives in a coffin, is he a vampire as well? I was gonna ask. I feel like we should just give him that one. He's a vampire too. Yeah, because I have a name. If so, all right. All right, right yeah. What's the name? Vampire. It's Vamptipus. <laughs> Oh, it sounds like a groovy 60s horror film. It sounds, it like, sounds a like a sci-fi movie waiting to happen. Vamptopus? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a lot of things. My name, my name is... I, I, I really think we have the winner, but just for the hell of it, my name would have been Octogeddon. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, nice. that's pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give mine The Sea Cries for Revenge. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mine is, it's Squid Hogan, but whose side is he on? <laughs> That's like if it was like a classic Marvel book and it had like the little exclamation, like, you know, um, editorial stuff on the cover, like featuring the dastardly Squid Hogan. Uh, I can't think of anything good. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with uh, Macho the Octo Squid versus Hulk Hogan and the NWO. <laughs> His name's Macho, alright. His name's Macho. I named him. Oh yeah. What is he? Black Machismo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sean and I were just watching Jay, Le- Jay Lethal videos the other day, actually. Oh man. Alright, so let's everybody we'll we'll go around and we'll recap our titles and then we'll we'll do the vote and let Dirk get out of here. <laughs> All right, so uh, mine was The Sea Cries Revenge. Uh, mine was Vamptopus. Mine was Octogeddon. Mine is, uh, it's Squid Hogan, but whose side is he on? <laughs> <laughs> and mine is Macho the Octopus versus Hulk Hogan and the NWO. Uh, I think I got to give my vote to Vamptopus. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm giving my vote right back at you, Pete. Oh, thank you. I'm giving mine to Sean's. I'm torn, uh, but I'm going to go with Octageddon. Oh, a sympathy vote. <laughs> Octopus. Even though we did add in the vampire bit at the end. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Asterisk next to this one, but still Octopus. Hands down. So I think that that makes Dirk Manning only the second creator we've ever had on the show to lose the game. <laughs> I can't believe you throw that in their face every time. Well, I'm just saying third, that third, puts third. Third, who was the, who was the oh, other Masari. one? Masari. Oh, Masari. Masari did lose as well. So Masari, um, Ryan Sullivan, and Dirk Manning. Okay, so we have a losers bracket now. So what we need to do? <laughs> losers bracket. <laughs> I'm going to again point out that the whole point of the vampire came in after the <laughs> You know what? Look at the time. <laughs> great, great. Good job, Sean. That, uh, that, that's, that's not Sean. It's us. <laughs> I oh, hope you shit. advertise this kicks, th- this podcast is the fact that, you know, to find out whether or not Dirk got beat in his own game. <laughs> <laughs> you, you revel in the schadenfreude of, of crushing a con crud laden, <laughs> you know, kickstart live streaming. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, I, it's great. I want to read this comic now. So. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Pals my ass. I'm pals you are. <laughs> You're going to cut a promo on us now? See, now I'm cutting a promo. You know, this reminds me of when Kaylin, when we play tested the Tales of Mystery Nightmare World game, Kaylin beat me at my own game. <laughs> This is opening. This is peeling back the scab on that wound. <laughs> One more round, and she was. Pl- uh, 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 I was playing. Uh, I think I was playing as Stumalushkin, and she was playing as someone as uh, I think Vanessa from Nightmare World. One more round was going to be Armageddon. I was going to just clean up and take the whole game the next round. And Caitlin just sneaks in the back door. Oh, by the way, whoop! So Love thanks, it. guys. The trauma is real. I mean, it sounds like Dirk Manning is taking L's all over the place. Well, now that. Now that Dirk is sounding off, it's a good time to mention our sponsor, the New World Order, who helped <laughs> provide this wonderful content for this episode. We're we're going to let you go, Dirk. Uh, we appreciate so much you coming on the show. Um, I do want to mention again that the Kickstarter is up. It is live. That's kickstarter.com. Uh, you can type in Dirk Manning, Tales of Mystery. Um We've got that going on. Haunted Highons is out right now. The comic book collaboration between Dark Manning and Twisted, which is just awesome. Again, I have read it. Check it out. Um, It's looking really good. And I can't wait to hear what more we can expect to come from that. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to reiterate or plug before you jump? I really appreciate the time, you guys. It's a pleasure. Um, Yeah, just, you know, check out the Kickstarter. If you are looking for good creator-owned horror, you know, uh, people like books like Invincible, for example, where we can do whatever we want. Tales of Mystery is going to be your jam. Uh, I'm on so uh, my website is DirkManning.com. On my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, all at Dirk Manning. Check out the Kickstarter. Again, at this point, the Kickstarter is all about all of you. The more people that pledge, the more stuff you get. So that is where we are at. Uh, and and Haunted Hions, you can get from the Twisted Shop online. You can get it from SourcePoint Press. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to have news soon about that being available through comic shops. And, um, yeah, just check out my touring schedule uh, and uh, at DirkManning.com, and I look forward to seeing everybody on the road soon. Awesome, awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us, Dirk. Yeah, thanks so much, Dirk. 
Thank you guys for your support and uh, enjoy and happy reading and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Oh. And thank you for uh, the uh, the mention uh, on the Kickstarter page too. You guys, uh, oh, of course. Are oh right. Thank yes, you, yes. son, for the pull quote. Thank you for that Absolutely. as well. Oh, anytime, anytime. My pleasure. All right, thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, Take Dirk. That guy's the salt of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that does it for Dirk. Um, we, of course, are going to keep rolling. Um, and I just want to make sure to do this because I forgot to do it earlier. I was so uh, enamored by the presence of uh, Dirk Manning that I forgot to plug us. Oh God! Right. <laughs> so of course. Uh, <laughs> you can always reach out to us on iTunes where you can leave us a rating or a five-star rated podcast. We deserve it, um, especially after that interview. So uh, go there. And then, of course, any other podcast hosting platform, whichever one you're a fan of, we're there. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. So you can let us know what you think about Dirk Manning, our interview with Dirk Manning on this podcast or the one we did with Dirk at New York Comic Con. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com uh, and we'll respond to you, uh, maybe. Uh, and last but not least, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you can like this video, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, and subscribe to the channel. All that stuff really helps us out. If you want to see us do more interviews with creators like Dirk Manning, uh, be sure to reach out to us. Let us know who you want us to talk to. You know, like we're big time now. We got Dirk Manning on the show. We can, we can talk to anybody. You know, so uh, let us know who you'd like to see us talk to. Um, we're going to keep rolling here, though, uh, because there's a lot more uh, for us to get to. So before we jump into the news and all that jazz, uh, we got a comment from Matt Murphy. Can we skip this one? <laughs> that's that's messed up. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I like Matt Murphy. That's uh, not nice. He's our friend, and he listens to our show. All right, yeah, so this came from uh, from Matt on Twitter, and uh, he said, Would really love to get the group's thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man number 789 on this week's episode. Best issue I've read in years, and the direction feels fresh as hell. Matt. So, I had the opportunity to read this. Uh, Matt, I want you to know that I was actually behind a few issues on Amazing Spider-Man, and so for you, I... Dug those issues up and read them. Just for you. Just, yeah, exclusively. Um, and I I got to tell you, man, I uh, I wasn't as into it as you were. I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, so f- I'll just really briefly. Basically, the last couple of issues of Amazing Spider-Man have been breaking down what Dan Slott built for the character over the last couple years which was him owning parker industries and being this super rich and famous person um that's all gone now in over the course of like a few issues and it's been teased the whole time don't get me wrong but i i think the way that dan did it wasn't the best just because it felt like we went one issue he's this you know rich playboy the next one he's sleeping on mockingbird's couch and that's fast and 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 you know that's fine i guess but it just felt too rapid for me um i like his relationship with mockingbird though uh i like i mean i like a lot of it dan slot's a good writer i enjoy his spider-man and i think that this is bringing the character closer in line with what most people would associate uh spider-man with being but at the same time i'm not as interested in 30 year old peter parker sleeping on someone's couch 
anymore. I don't know that I want to see that. So I feel like there was a way to do this where Peter gets to land a little more gracefully than he did. Uh, but I guess that's not really in – that's not really the way things tend to work out for Spider-Man, so – yeah, that sounds like weirdly appropriate for a Peter story, right? Is for him to like fall and fall hard on his ass. Yeah, it, it that it makes sense. It's 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 everything that you expect to happen in a Spider-Man comic. It's just weird because Dan Slott has been doing the opposite of that for a really long time, and to now just be thrown into that and again, pedaling right. It's it's odd, but it was a good issue. Just didn't. I don't think I loved it as much as you did. So question, do you think that, because I, I didn't get to read it, I want, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to pick it up after Matt commented on this, um, but I just didn't get a chance, I had other things going on, but uh, I wanted to ask you, do you think, even though this issue maybe wasn't the best for you because of how this, like, you know, return to form, as it were, uh, felt abrupt, do you think that, like, this is an interesting place for, for Slot to go moving forward? That there's, like, meat there for him? Or does it feel like a real major step back for the character for you who's been reading Amazing Spider-Man and seen all this growth for Peter into a successful businessman and stuff like that? I mean, it's it's definitely... He definitely hit the the reset button in a, in a, in a lot of ways uh, because a lot of it is super familiar. Uh, this issue doesn't do a lot of teasing as far as what's going to come next. It really is more like this is the new status quo. Peter hates his life, but he loves being Spider-Man. That's kind of what this issue establishes, which is something that any Spider-Man fan knows. Um, and that's okay because if you have been reading the series, then you know that Green Goblin's still in the picture. You know that Doc Ock is still in the picture. There are things that are happening. Uh, so that's cool. I think that this was meant to be a jumping on point or a jumping back on point for people like you who have decided that they don't want to read Rich Peter because there are a lot of people like that. And for those people, this issue is where you want to be. And I think that might be why Matt loved it so much. I don't know. Not speaking for him, but I get that. I definitely get that. Cool. So. I'm going to I'm going to really I'm going to read it uh, before the next show because I'd like to at the very least talk to you guys about it on Twitter a little bit because that sounds interesting to me, um, especially because, like you said, you like you like the dynamic Peter and Mockingbird seem to have because that's like that's really cool to me because like I the reason I'm such a fan of Black Cat is because I really like the idea of Peter dating another superhero. So I would love some. Fucking miserable Peter Parker, happy Spider-Man and Mockingbird stories for a bit. Like, I think I could, that could definitely be a, a good palate cleanser for me to jump back onto Amazing Spider-Man, which is a book I haven't read since I was like 19. Like, I don't know. I would, I would love to, I would love to have a reason to pick up a monthly Spider-Man book. Well, we know you're a big Dan Slot fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, shit though. Like, I would love to be proven wrong, right? I think I've proved, if I've proven nothing else on this show is that, you know, uh, my opinions are malleable. Like, I'm, I'm open to change my mind with new information. Maybe I just don't like the first, what, like, five years of dance lots around on the character. Maybe this is my time, man. <laughs> it could be. It could be. I, like I said, I, I like dance slots writing for spider-man so for me this is just hey i don't like the reset necessarily 
in every fat in every sense, but there there are elements of this that I really enjoy. And the script is a script; it's Dan Slott. So, and the art is phenomenal. Stuart Eminen, if you guys know who that is, fantastic. So, definitely worth checking out. Um, let's let's do some pals pulls uh, real quick. Let's get through this. Marco, uh, Killer Be Killed number thirteen. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's an awesome book. I know Sean, you're reading it too. Uh, anything that. Um, Phillips and Brubaker do. I'm I'm all on board ever since Fade Out um, and going back on the other stuff too. Yep. The dynamic duo as it were. Uh, Phil, Grayson, the super spy omnibus. <clears throat> yeah, I'll put it in five words. King, Grayson, Art, good, omnibus. All right. <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. Uh, Pete, Invincible 141. Yeah, well, I mean, what can I say? Invincible is my favorite comic. It's coming to an end. I'm still not emotionally ready to catch up on it, so I haven't. Um, but I was, I mean, guys, I was really sad I didn't get to talk to Ryan Otley at New York Comic Con. That's what I have to say about that. He wasn't there, was he? <laughs> no, and he's been there every other year I've, like, been to Comic Con. Uh, and then for me, uh, Batman number 33, uh, we got. Catwoman's answer to the marriage proposal at the end of the War of Jokes and Riddles. I won't spoil it for those of you who are sensitive to that, but needless to say that the answer uh, leaves both characters in a place that's going to be interesting to read about going forward, so I look forward to that. Um, Mm. And uh, it's Tom King. And then the other book that I chose is Batman the Drowned, number one. The Dark Knight's Metal Tie-Ins uh, have been crazy good. All the one shots have been awesome. I expect nothing less from the drowned, and so I can't wait from the, for this one. Um, so let's 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 do some news. Let's start off with something a little fun, uh, because a real life villain attacked Midtown Comics. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Sean, were you there when that happened? I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wish you had been. That would be crazy. That would be fucking amazing. Right? Uh, So, (laughs) Midtown Comics is uh, a a chain of comic book stores in New York. Uh, This particular one was the 40th and 7th uh, Street store. This is the one that I actually go to, so I could have very well been there. Uh, So, the story here is that a guy... Uh, who was, you know, he appeared to be high on drugs. He was a little loony. Uh, he had been at the Lenwich uh, store nearby harassing them. He'd been harassing a few different stores, and then he finally ended up at Midtown, tried to steal some comics. Uh, you know, Midtown, of course, the crack team uh, there noticed this, and they tried to stop him, but he was too uh, high, and he fended them off. Uh, they took his shoes from him, uh, he, they took his shoes. <laughs> they took his shoes. They tried to sit him down. Um, he was raving the way that uh, supervillains tend to monologue. He was doing one of those deals. And then he threw himself out the window. Uh, he, no, wait. He, like, did he throw himself through the glass? That's what happened? Or? Yeah. He tossed oh himself God. through the glass. Now... That's you fucking got, insane. Came down from the high heart. The layout of Midtown, like if you've not been there, if you've not seen it, if this isn't easy to do. You've got to really want to 
like fly. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, because it's cramped. It's not. It's right on that stairwell. There's like exactly. shit in front. There's like literally a life size Spider Man in front of the window, and like all kinds of like stuff on the walls. Yeah. This is there like a guardrail and shit too. There's a guardrail. Yeah, there there's is. like a lot of different things. So he flies out the window, breaks the glass. This isn't just regular glass. Like he threw him. He really put a lot of force in this. Lands on the ground. Gets up. It's like attempts, three stories up, too. Yeah. He gets up and attempts to just walk away. And, of course, the cops were there to apprehend this villainous <laughs> figure. Uh, but you, imagine the scene, you know? Imagine the scene. Imagine being an onlooker, reading through the latest issue of, of Action Comics or Superman. And then you see a guy try to pull a Superman right out the freaking window of Midtown Comics. Dude, and I think it's even funnier when you think about the fact that it was like, you know, Marco said it's the one that's right near Times Square. It's like a lot of their clientele is just geeky tourists who are like, let's go to the biggest comic book store in New York City. And then it's just like... And then a scene like that plays out, you know? You're looking at statues, and then all of a sudden this fucking drug addict flings himself through, a, through off of a second-story window. Oh, my God. Another day in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Only in New York. <laughs> New York see, yeah. has it all. <laughs> sure does. That's why all the best comic books take place in New York City. Holy shit. What a story, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, so... A Justice League trailer dropped. This is kind of the New York Comic Con fallout, right? Um, Sunday, last Sunday, a just uh, the final Justice League trailer dropped. It's called Justice League Heroes. Um, cutting right to the chase. Did this trailer do anything to sell you more on the movie? It started to like the through the first like. Those first, what, like 20 seconds where I was like, whoa, this dream sequence is nice. Hey, look, they got a good shot in here. Whoa. And then it turned into a CGI orgy and I was like, meh, I'm upset. Sounds Marco-y. Yeah, um, everything about that sentence was like, I thought that was bait for Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to take that because, you know, this is... There, there are no superhero movies that don't have CGI, so. Yeah, right. Um, Sean, I actually want to ask you what you thought about it before I offer my thoughts. Cool. So the biggest question on my mind has been how are they going to handle Superman? What is, what is the way that he's going to be introduced? Because we all know that he's in the movie. Um, and I was frustrated. I've been frustrated that the marketing has seemed to be uh, just – outright saying hey yeah here's superman on the poster here's superman here and there and i really like that but so when they showed superman initially in the trailer i was like come on guys just just like that and then it turned out to be a dream sequence that really that really made me happy because i don't want them to just throw him out i want there to be some questions i want there to be mystery as far as how does superman get involved in this and so i really like the way they handled that element and this trailer you know it really again it brings out a lot of the fun of what this movie is going to be and um so so i'm I'm excited on every level i'm excited about this movie there are cool shots um of, of wonder woman of aquaman of all these characters that we haven't really seen um fully fleshed out in this environment yet and it looks cool. It, it looks cool. It looks like what we wanted from a Justice League movie on the outset. To me. 
Sean, I agree. What? Yeah. I thought this was a good trailer. I don't even like trailers. Like, trailers usually bum me out. And, like, I, I thought the dream sequence was, like, really well shot. I was, like, surprised by how good that looked. Yeah, it was um, good. And what a good moment that was. And, like, I'm a little upset that it was spoiled for me in the trailer because, like, I think if I had seen that for the first time in the movie, I would have been, like, floored by, like, what, a, like, a successful emotional moment that was. But uh, I'm kind of glad it was there, too, because it actually made me more interested um, that there might be more earnest moments like that. And then, like, you know, I think when we saw the first trailer, one thing that I think we all thought was a, a, a cute moment, at least, was the whole everyone on the, the rooftop talking to Commissioner Gordon and everything. And, like, they, there was kind of a similar scene to that, again, with the Flash here, where he got a great one-liner. And, like, I don't know, like, there was a lot of, like, yeah, sure, right? It's a CGI fest because it's a fucking superhero team-up movie. Like, that's, get, get, get used to that, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. But in terms of, like, the things that weren't that, I was surprised by how into them I was. And, like, if there are enough moments like that that are just focused around these interesting different characters who don't know each other, um, you know, getting together to, to fight against a common goal, and it, like, you know, plays like a good superhero story and not, like, ham-fisted suicide squad where it's just like we're a family for some reason like th yeah like i really think that could be great could, you know what? could be good i don't know it doesn't the the music in the beginning from the um the score of man of steel by um what's his name oh han zimmer han zimmer which is such a good score that the score of that movie is terrific um and it, but the thing is, it was a double-edged sword because I was like, Man of Steel had the best trailers of any movie I'd ever seen. And that movie wasn't very good. Um, yeah, that's a great point. While this movie, while this, all this trailer was good, the fact is, Zack Snyder did a lot of it. Joss Whedon completed it. Warner Brothers, it's, it's in the, halfway through this regime change. I mean, it, it's hard not to remain skeptical with everything we've heard everything we've seen and everything we know so yeah so i agree with you rather indifferent there is no there is no rational argument against that uh the skepticism is warranted for me i don't care if the movie isn't good in the sense that knowing all of those things yeah, there's a reasonable chance that this will not be a great movie. But despite all that, going into it knowing what this movie's what, what it has the potential to be, I'm hopeful, and I think that that's kind of the point. Uh, and so, if it's bad, all right, well, hey, it's bad. But if it's good, and this trailer makes me believe that it could be good, uh, then that's something to really be excited for and be happy for so i'm not going to go in there with the highest of expectations but i'm also not going to make the movie bad for me because i think it's going to be bad i'm not saying that's what you guys are doing i'm just saying that that's not what i'm going to do i'm going to go in there watch a movie make a judgment after the fact good or bad that's it i think i think the interesting thing for me is i think i'm in about the best place i can be going into this movie if, we, if they don't show us anything else because 
knowing all the things we know around it, my expectations are super low. And seeing this trailer, I was like, okay, you know what? This might actually have some good moments. And like, I feel like I could see myself walking out of this having a decent time at the at the minimum, right? And not and not thinking it sucked. And uh, I mean, like, I think that's like a decent bar for this movie to shoot for is just aim for the middle because like it's so it's been so tortured and so uh, you know, like Phil said, like it's it's changed hands so many times at this point that it's like it's a camel. And as long as it can come out and be all right, that'll be like, I don't think anyone's expecting it to be anything else. So like, I feel like people will be a lot softer on it um, because their expectations are so low that if it, if it succeeds in enough ways that, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be enough to get us, get us through to the next movie, at least (laughs) unite the seven, the seven Marthas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god alright well we've talked ad nauseum about Justice League as we approach the release of the film we'll obviously have more to say um, but uh, today's not that day uh, so instead we're going to talk about something that is holy good we got a double dose of good from DC this week uh, because we learned that there is one last script from Len Wein about Swamp Thing. There's one last Swamp Thing story. All right, on to the next news segment. (laughs) (laughs) Everything Uh, that's been said is all there is to say. (laughs) So, Len Wein died uh, last month in September, which obviously rocked the comic book world. But he did leave one last story. Um, It was meant to be it apparently was meant to be a an ongoing uh, or some kind of series, um, but obviously he passed. He was only able to complete the first script, and so it's being released instead as a um, a special Swamp Thing Winter Special, which will go on sale uh, January thirty first. Now Len Wein is 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 writing that, which is fantastic, uh, with art by Kelly Jones. What's super cool though. In addition, is that we're getting a story in this book by uh, about Swamp Thing by Tom King and Jason Fabok. That is fantastic. Can't wait. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, anytime we get a swampy book, the uh, I actually posted it in um, the Parliament of Trees Facebook group, uh, and it blew up. So I was like, yeah, first one to <laughs> to, po- to post on that. Um, but yeah, it's super exciting. Um, so it was supposed to be a continuation of the previous uh, six-issue mini that he did with Kelly Jones. They were supposed to continue that um, story. Um, but, of course, he passed away. Kelly Jones is doing the art on that stuff. And he'd already, they already had some communication, like, back and forth. Um, and actually, uh, the Parlopod, uh, it's one of the podcasts I used to work on. Um, they actually have an interview where they're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth. Um, so any Swamp Thing fans, you guys can go check them out because um, they're going to talk with Kelly Jones about like him and um, Len Wein's sort of last communications um, and like how they were sort of working on this uh, on this issue. Cool. Um, any other thoughts about this before we move along? No, I, I, it's just cool that uh, it's cool that we get one more story from such a legendary figure in the industry, you know, it's always nice when there's a little, 
just a little something to give us closure like that. Absolutely. So moving right along, uh, we got the first trailer for the Runaways series that's going to drop on Hulu. Um, what do you guys think about this? Can I say, like, all the Fox properties with superhero stuff, they look like they're just turning towards, like, a horror focus, and it's awesome. Like, Legion was really, really good. Um, the Runaways looked like it was some like some kind of, like, weird... Um, Runaways isn't Fox. It's not? No. No. It's Marvel, dude. Like Marvel Marvel? Marvel yeah. Marvel. On Hulu. Why? I thought it was Fox too. No. Not bad. Is that just- is. Um, <laughs> Marco doesn't read comics. <laughs> I don't read comics. <laughs> sorry, guys. I don't even like superheroes. <laughs> but, but no, but, but, but keep on though. Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to like derail your point. I just wanted to. Yeah. I did that. mean to. Otherwise, Matt Murphy's going to tweet at us. You know, you guys didn't correct me. I made a mistake last week and he fucking roasted me. So <laughs> I actually wanted to let him go all the way with that and then correct him just because I thought that'd be funnier. But it's <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Marco. Um, no. Yeah. The, it's a really cool, um, like interesting horror focus that they, they put on it. Um, and so uh, I'm I'm excited for that. It, the, the trailer looked it looked enticing. It looked like something that wasn't just a run-of-the-mill superhero kind of thing, and I, I appreciated that. Cool. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. I'm not. If, I don't know if I'm going to watch it because I don't watch a lot of media to begin with. But honestly, uh, if enough people tell me to watch it, I'll probably watch it because Legion is a show that everyone's been telling me to watch forever, and honestly, that's what I should be watching. I guess. Yeah, dude. I think I think I'm just gonna try to convince Sean to help me make you guys do a Runaways review, and then we'll just watch it because I think it looks pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I don't have Hulu. Yeah, I'll, I don't have yeah, Hulu I'll, just, I'll, I'll just give you guys my account, and you can take advantage of it. That's illegal, Pete. It's not. They t- they tell you it's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's why they let you make multiple accounts that you can let all your moocher friends use Hulu. <laughs> I pay for the premium. It's fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I would love to check it out because, uh, I, you know, I'm a big Brian K. Vaughn fan. So like Runaways is a thing I've always read about, but I've never actually read the Runaways. Um, but from a few, uh, friends of, of the show who are, uh, comic book, you know, journalists or, or, you know, commentators themselves who are big fans of the Runaways, um, shout outs to my friend, uh, Jack Ninavaghi, uh, said that. It, it definitely, he saw the first episode at New York Comic Con actually at their panel and he said that it was, uh, it, you know, it's its own thing, but it definitely feels like it really honors the books. Um, so yeah, I think it looks going to be like, it's going to be something to look forward to, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I like the runaways. Uh, I still have to go back and read more of the initial run. Obviously, Brian K. Vaughn, a god. Um, they, you're right though. They did have to make it their own thing. There were some some big things that they did change. Um, one of those was that uh, Nico Minoru, um, she, one like the way her powers work is that she has to cut herself in order to spawn her staff. Cool, um, which gives her access to her powers. Um, but. She can't do that on the show. They're not. They're not going to have 
a character just cut their wrists or cut their chest or whatever. Especially um, like a young a young woman. It's a it's a yeah it's a show more aimed at teens and after thirteen reasons why and that fiasco how that went down the reaction they're not going to do that but they they do promise that there is, that 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 element of the character will still kind of uh play into it so you know we'll see how that plays out um and then you know the other interesting thing is that this is not on Netflix that's yeah yeah that that is so fascinating to me. It's a good move. So, uh, Jeff Loeb actually talked about this um, with Polygon because th- there is that question, right? Especially with everything that's going on with uh, Disney and you know Netflix and everything like that. What is the reason why they would put this on Hulu? Because this was announced a while ago. This isn't brand new. Now, as a commentator, I think that this is Marvel reading the tea leaves. And knowing, okay, this 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 deal with uh, with Netflix is it's not going to last forever. Let's see where else we can go. But this is what uh, Loeb had to say. What we do with every show is we look at where the best place is. We absolutely had a lot on our plate at Netflix, but wasn't but wasn't the reason for it. We were very excited about the possibility of joining a network that was young and growing in the same way that when we went to Netflix, it was young and growing on the original side. It really feels like we're in the right place at the right time with the right show. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that totally makes sense, right? Like, they don't have an exclusive deal with Netflix. They don't need to because they're fucking Marvel, which means they're Disney. Um, And I think that is a great point, right? Because at the runaways at Netflix, while there's arguably a bigger audience there because Netflix is a bigger platform than Hulu, um, not by a lot, but it is, uh, it would be one, another new Netflix show in a sea of many where many of them go unnoticed. And when there are already five other, uh, original Netflix Marvel shows preceding it, then there's going to be expectation and the questions of, is this in the same universe? Are they going to cross over? Like, are people going to be like, oh, I, I didn't like Defender, so I'm not going to watch, watch Runaways. There's like, there's baggage there, right? And good or bad, I think at Hulu, it is a young network to their point that only has a few original shows, many of which um, for a long time were not good and nobody watched or cared about. They only really have one or two pieces of original programming that have gotten any um, major attention. And this is going to be a marquee title for them, so they're going to push it in a way that at Netflix they would, but it would be an event for like a week, you know? Whereas at Hulu, it's going to be probably one of the things that they hang their hat on uh, for a long time. Yeah. And um, I I think this goes even beyond... um well, it, it it goes it goes it happens before this whole stuff with like defenders, Iron Fist. I imagine these have been talks that have been going on for a while anyway. So I think I think like it was just a move also to sort of um, like you said expand outside of Netflix because one of the things that we always talk about on the show is like you have though the problem with comics is the way that they're flooding the market and you don't want to flood that uh, Netflix audience. You no, know, you you already have that that fan base. And 
to your point, throwing another show is just going to conf- not, not necessarily confuse people, but it's going to raise a lot of questions. It's going to raise a lot of concerns. So moving it to a, a different platform just from a business standpoint is um, it's just a tactical move. For me, I, I get all that. I don't like it just because I already buy Netflix. I already spend money there. Big reason why I do is because of Marvel stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you know they throw their stuff on another platform that I'm going to jump on. Uh, in fact, I can guarantee you that I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to pay for Hulu just because the Runaways are there. I just won't watch it, or I'll borrow Pete's. Um, but you know, I get I get what they're going for. That's just me personally. Will other people have that response? No way to say. We'll we'll see how things go when the show does drop. But. Uh, for me personally, I would rather that it just be on Netflix. Now, to comment on the quality of the way the show looks, I think it looks really good. I think they, they captured well sort of um, the spirit of the Runaways comic. It's not slavish, but it very much feels like something that 15 years ago would have aired on the WB and been a really, really strong offering from them. It's in that vein... It reminds me of that in a lot of ways, but they have the freedom because they're on Hulu to do some things that they wouldn't on a network television show, which is great for a show like this. I think that isn't just a teenage show. It does. You know, there, there are elements that they get to play with that go beyond what you could do on the CW, uh, but still cater to that younger audience. Yeah. And uh, I think stylistically, it looks really good. You know, like it, 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 it looks distinctly. um I shouldn't say distinctly. It looks distinct from the Marvel House style and then the Marvel Netflix style, you know? And it feels like it's kind of going to, like, etch out its own vibe. And that's something I'm I'm looking forward to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's talk about the New Mutants trailer. Because I think, I think that, that that's, that's what Marco might have been, uh, he might have had on his mind earlier. <laughs> that one's Fox. We can't hear that you. one's Fox. That Yay, is de- definitely Fox, yes. Uh, so why don't you start us off, Marco, with that? I'm proud of you, though, buddy. Thanks. Um, uh, I had the same reaction. It's going into some horror stuff, and like that's that's cool. Uh, it's I think it's playing up on the success of Legion potentially. Um, uh, the way that it, that some of the the scenes were shot was like very very similar. Um, uh, especially that that one wall scene where like things are coming out of the wall. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm pumped for this series. I don't I only know the new mutants tangentially from what I've read of Claremont's um X Men, the Uncanny X Men. So like, uh, I don't have too much of a connection to them. So I'm interested to learn about them. Um, I know who they are, more or less. Um, so all around, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. I mean, this um, this is super interesting, you know, because again, it's just like anything that can be a subversion of the genre or do something that's like fresh is something I'm excited to see, right? And I feel like them really leaning into, you know, some of the psychological horror of what the reality of being a young mutant in some of these like lab situations that we've seen over the years is a great idea. Some of the body horror stuff that you can do with mutant children, great idea playing into some of these like, you know, kind of creepy medical vibes. 
And um, I feel like that's super appropriate for the source material. And it's not necessarily like comics X-Men, but it feels like a great use of the X-Men in a fresh way. In the same way that I feel like Logan uh, accomplished that by trying to do tell a different kind of superhero story. And I think if Fox can continue to do that, I mean, I don't even care if the mainline X-Men movies suck, you know? Like, I'm more interested in these kinds of projects uh, overall. And, you know, I went from, you know, I think we had talked in the past about how they said they were going to do New Mutants as like a horror kind of vibe. And we were all kind of skeptical about that. But seeing this trailer, I'm just like, all right, yeah, like this looks really promising. Um, and I'm excited for it in a way I definitely wasn't before. So this kind of just underscores my whole thing is that I really like Chris Claremont's new X-Men, a new um, New Mutants book. This movie appears to really deviate from that um, by being heavily horror-based. And that's a good thing, because strict adaptations aren't typically great. The fact that they're giving a creative talent a lot of wiggle room to do something that's meaningful different, that's what matters. It's pushing the boundaries of the source material. And I think it looks awesome. So, just to underscore, Phil's always right, and that's all that matters. <sighs> um, Seconded. So <laughs> why, Marco? No, <laughs> that's uh, all right. So that's two people that are off the show. <laughs> uh, um, no, I. I mean, look, Fox is off the rails as far as keeping to any kind of strict X Men continuity that that hasn't that's been out the window for twenty years. Uh, so whatever with that, right? Now it's just about will the movies be good. Uh, does this look good to me? Yeah. I think the cast looks great. A lot of, uh, young, fresh actors. I love Maisie Williams. Um, I'm, I'm excited for some of the people that are, that are in this movie. Um, I, you know, and, and, um, and I'm willing to give this a shot. Whereas I was not so hyped about it, uh, a few months ago. Now this looks like something that I might really enjoy. Um, and that's great. And I like the fact that they're using horror in a way that we haven't really, really seen it used in any of these uh, big tentpole superhero films. So, yeah, nothing like this, you know, like, yeah, you can argue that there's like elements of horror and like, you know, I guess Batman and stuff like that between like Scarecrow and some of the more intense stuff with some, of the, you know, like Joker or whatever. But it's not nothing where it's like this is shot like a horror movie. You know, that scene where there's like the walls have like fucking hands trying to come through them and stuff like that. Like it, it has a very um, surreal kind of vibe to it. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it just looks fresh. It looks new. And that's we, we could use more of that. Yeah. And so that's actually going to take us into our main topic. Uh, so, you know, I was really, really um, hoping that we could have Dirk on to speak to this a little bit because of, you know, look, his bread and butter is, is horror comics for the most part. Right. Um, but I want to talk about what is it that that horror comics do? Why does horror lend itself so well to comics? Um and why is that the perfect blend? And especially right now when you think about the fact that we've got the New Mutants film on the horizon next year. We've got the Hellboy movie on the horizon. We've got the Spawn movie on the horizon. Uh, and then everybody's favorite film, Venom, is on the horizon. You know, and that's going to be a horror film. 
Um, Pete's yes. eyes actually just roll into the back of his head. Um, but so so obviously now Hollywood is taking notice that they're that these characters lend themselves well to horror. Uh, and and that's something that comic book fans and comic book creators have known for the longest time. Um, so I want to talk about that. Why do these characters work so well in that environment? And of course, what are some of our favorite spookiest comics? Um, now, not everybody on this show has necessarily an intimate uh, familiarity with horror comics. I want to start by talking about the ways in which that horror either works or doesn't in the medium because uh you know when you watch films right which is where you know horror that most people associate horror media with movies i would say um there are certain things in film that you can do that you can't do in comics because in films you can have those jump scares where it's like it creates the tension by setting the scene holding the shot using the sounds the the amb- the ambiance the music and then the character pops out, or then there's the death, or then there's the blood. You know, you can't do that in the same way in comics. So writers and artists have to work to create that tone without having all the tools. Uh, Marco, you are a huge fan of horror comics. Can you speak to that a little bit and why it works? Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, your, your point on exactly that, like not having the ability to incorporate a different kind of element like music or uh, cutaway shots. Um, you you really have to build it on tone. Um, And that's, I think, at least for me, that's what uh, is the strongest aspect of horror for me is the, the tone, being able to nail a a sort of... Uh, for example, uh, colors. Colors are hugely important. Um, Francesco Francavilla is a huge horror uh, artist. His use of contrasting colors to create a dissonance is really important. Um, Kelly Jones is the same. Uh, no, he doesn't do the same thing. He, what he does is to create that tone, he uses um, inking, heavy inks, super, super dark uh, highlights. Um, he uses a lot of shadows and then like Bernie Wrightson, his stuff is building on the, the human form, um, and transforming it, uh, stuff like body, the body horror stuff. So all of it is just really, again, for me, is just being able to pick something that, um, doesn't resonate with uh, a person and then playing that up because that's what makes you feel uncomfortable. So if, for example, somebody who's not into the, like necessarily seeing a weird, like I, I remember a couple episodes back, I, uh, I mentioned that one book about you get an STD and it like destroys like your body or something like that. That's, it, it's uncomfortable. And that's what really plays it up because of the way that they, the artists and the writers sort of play up the tone. It was a normal, normal town um, where this is occurring. Like, you know, this could happen and, you know, this could happen anywhere. Um, and then the, the horror itself was coming from the inks, coming from the way that, it, that the characters were drawn in their, in their human form and in their non-human forms. So, um, yeah, I think I think you're you're right on the money in that where 
movies have certain advantages over comics. I think comics also have some strengths as well that they can implement uh, that movies can't necessarily. Yeah, you have you have to get creative because of your limitations. Um, you you aren't because you are quote unquote restricted to certain to certain things. You have to be able to play within that wheelhouse and play um, to those restrictions versus trying to like, push out away for, away from them. So, Pete, you're a you're a huge fan of The Walking Dead. Obviously, The Walking Dead is super successful, uh, both as a comic and as a television series over on AMC. Um, what do you think are some of the strengths of that book? As far as representing horror and bringing horror to comics, why do you think it works? Um, so I think it, it really comes right down to what Marco's saying, which is I, I honestly think that horror comics or horror writing in general is actually a lot better than films, despite the fact that that's probably where horror is most prevalently thought of, uh, because... I think that the things that fil- the, the the so-called advantages that films have are cheap, you know, and I think they're empty. like, yeah, they're empty. And, you know, I don't really like a lot of horror movies because I think for every good one, there's about 30 shitty ones, you know, because there are a lot where like the plot ends up not really going anywhere because once you get the answer, it's not satisfying anymore. And you have so few examples of, of films that really succeed at doing it. Whereas I think in comics and specifically in The Walking Dead, what I, what really resonates with me is that it plays more to, um, your emotions than to like just trying to like scare you, than trying to like give you like that primal sense of fear, which is something that I think, uh, horror movies are really good at doing. And there's a time and place for that, right? Like, I'm not shitting on on all horror movies, but I think what I like about The Walking Dead is I don't, like, read The Walking Dead and it's not like, oh, like, this is scary, right? It, the fear comes from the idea of, like, what Marco said is like, oh, like, this could happen anyway, right? It's like, not that this could happen per se, but that, like, imagine if this did happen to you, right? Imagine if you're the one who's in the situation where all of a sudden society is totally upended, you're being hunted by literal living monsters, some of which are people that you've known, um, you know, and, and cared for, and you're just trying to survive, you know, and, and, like, fighting to hold on to what shreds of your humanity that you've managed to you know, cling to, you know, and like that is what I think really resonates with people uh, in 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 good horror, in my mind, you know, is that like you you identify with characters that are put in these really hyper intense, like trying situations. And you'd like to think that you would be able to rise to the occasion in that same way. And I think that that fear that we get from horror can also be really empowering, you know, and that's that's what I um, I really identify with in The Walking Dead. You know, is that it's about playing with your emotion, but it's also about like showing you that like, you know, sometimes like the monster isn't always like the real issue, you know, that it's like the battle you have to go through as uh, with your fear, you know, and overcoming that fear. Man, I don't know. That's an unfair knock against horror films with any genre of film. You're going to get one good to every 30 bad. It's the same thing with anything. Same thing with comics. Uh, there are so many fantastic horror films. Like it, it's 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 criminal to like. I can't even start. But like, and just in the last few years, we've gotten so many great films. 
like the witch, the Babadook. Get out. Get out. Uh, it follows. Yeah, and again, I, like I said, I'm not. This isn't a knock against horror movies. I'm saying that I think that things that Some aren't films tropes. they have to work harder yeah and like yeah right exactly marco that i think it's easy for horror films to fall into tropes and have cheap scares and the things that you're talking about don't do those things and that's why we're that's why they're memorable yeah but it's the same thing with anything comedy films can fall into cheap tropes drama films it's the same thing with comics comic like i mean there's a reason why marco doesn't like superhero comics because i think they all fall in the same kind of trope like that's just media that's entertainment that's art um, yeah, but my point is that you can't do that with horror comics because you, you can't rely on the same uh, simple tropes. The thing that, about, like, but that's the thing with horror comics is that in my mind, it's the same thing with horror films. There's so many bad horror comics in my mind, but when there's a really good one, it really stands out. Hellboy is the best horror comic ever made for my money. I absolutely love it. Everything it does. I, I mean, Dirk was on it earlier talking about uh, Hellboy in Hell, how it's a culmination of Oh boy, like 25 years of art. Um, th- that's that's the peak and culmination of horror comics at its best, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of really bad ones. Um, let me let me let me stop you real quick. What is it about Hellboy comics that makes them effective at telling horror stories? For one, you have you've had a group of characters that you've been able to grow and identify with for I mean, right away, I mean, like, the, the earliest Hellboy books are probably the best, but, like, they're all immediately identifiable, and you can relate to them. Um, and it's just, it's it's distinct um, with the Nazi occultism and, like, the, the Kralian witchcraft of, like, Rasputin and stuff. Um, it, it intertwines kind of... It's like X-Files meets... Um, like that's the thing it's it's hard to really like relate it to a lot of things <laughs> it's hard because a lot of the things that immediately came to mind for me are things that were inspired by hellboy exactly um and th- so the first thing was like it's x-files but different really um because it's 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 like x-files if Mulder was a superhero <laughs> mike mike mignola's you know he's He's brilliant. He's one of the greatest artists to ever come through in this industry, I think. And what he's done for like driving a uh, his own IP is huge for for you know like creator driven comics, I think. Um, and we're getting another movie out of it because I think it keeps permeating through the popular culture. Yeah, and I and I think I think you're right um, about Hellboy as a book. So for me. There are there are a number of, of um, horror comics that I love. I'm not the biggest fan of horror movies that are based around the jump scare or based around the monster or whatever. That's not really yeah my thing. Does um, that just ask? Does that include like slasher flicks and stuff like that? Those are those are all right for fun, I guess. For the but but they're not there. There's not a lot of meat there. They don't really leave me with any kind of impression. I don't know that they're good no, or bad. I'm with you. I don't they really care for that stuff. Yeah, I, I like I like a good monster movie. You know, is what it comes down to. Is like I I do I think they have th- their time and place. But I would agree with you. They're shallow fun. You know, they're popcorn movies. Right. And so for me, what's really horrifying is always going to be stuff that is unpredictable. Uh, and challenging to grasp on a mental level. Stuff that really 
causes you to question reality, question what you know. Like what Dirk was talking about earlier. I think Dirk perfectly and eloquently described why horror works when he was talking to Phil about a particular moment in uh, Tales of Mystery Volume 4, Issue 2. Um, that's the kind of stuff that's really up my alley. And actually, that's the kind of thing that I think comics can excel at in a way that movies don't always... I mean, granted, both sides, right? There's this failures on every on every side, but I think comic books can really tap into your emotions. Comic books can trap you in a moment um, through panels that movies in a way that movies can't necessarily um and and lead you through the dialogue in a way and lead you through the images in a way that's different from movies that i think can really really be effective um and then also the fact that with comics anything you can imagine can happen and it'll look right so a great example of that for me is a series called colder um by paul tobin and juan ferreira um, I'm not sure, Marco, if you've ever had the chance to read Colder. I think I've heard of it. All right. Well, it's a it's a it's a weird series, um, and essentially, there's this this villain who can kind of do whatever with his body and with the bodies of others. So a lot of times, you'll see him putting his hand through people's heads, and in a movie, that would look stupid. That would just look really weird. Can it be done? Yes. With the proper budget, it could look all right. For the most part, though, when movies do stuff like that, it looks cheap. This book makes it look like it's happening. And that's because you suspend your disbelief in a different way when you're reading a comic book and things just kind of come together. Um, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of horror that I think comics do really well that I like because not only is it creepy and weird, but it's also like, wait a second, that's not supposed to happen. So how the hell am I looking at it right now? Um, and so that's that's one of the things I really like in my horror, in comics. I just I just Googled it. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this one, I, I've, uh, but I'm not, I've not read it. It's, it's on my list though. Yeah, I, I really recommend checking it out. Um, so one of the other things about horror comics is seeing superheroes that aren't necessarily traditionally associated with horror or aren't horror characters on their faces put in situations that make that create horror comics. So like Batman, I think, is a great example of a character who, yes, he dresses up as a bat. Uh, yes, he fights, you know, people that look like they're wearing Halloween costumes, but he's not a horror character per se. Um, but there are environments and characters and villains that create those environments. Phil, you've read a ton of Batman comics. Are there any that you can think about that re- remind you of what I'm talking about? Um, the first one that came to mind was uh, The Cult by Starling. Yes, yes. Um, that's a terrific comic. And in general, I've been really um, fascinated with cults lately and it's halloween so i've been i've been having a, a fix to read uh um more horror oriented batman comics um some of the grant morrison and listening to podcasts about serial killers yeah these guys could not stop hearing me talk about uh serial killers in new york last weekend like carl panzram the tale of carl panzram <laughs> <laughs> uh i thought of mr uh professor pig from uh Morrison, oh, early Morrison's, Morrison's run? Uh, yeah. Uh, then I thought of, uh, of course, Serious House on Serious Earth, which has a really gothic feel. And then my favorite Halloween-y feeling Batman book is Batman Gothic. Yeah, absolutely. Where, absolutely. That's a great one. 
Yeah, where uh what's what Marco? Does Red Rain fall under that? Red Rain. Oh, the Professor that... Pig thing? No, no, isn't there Yeah, there is like the there is there is a book called Red Rain. I, I isn't that the one I can't remember. I, I can't remember. I'm not sure if I've read Red Rain. Kelly Jones does it, I think. He does the Red art on Rain. it. Oh, Dracula? Yeah, there you go. The Dracula one. It's a it's a trilogy. Batman oh. does fight a lot of vampires by, now that I think about uh, it. By, <laughs> by Doug Mensch. Okay. He lives really close to me, actually. Well, uh, go drag him over here and get him to talk about horror. Uh, no, Batman Gothic, though. Um, that's that's the book where um, Batman is confronted by a century-old, very medieval-type adversary who's trying to cheat the devil out of losing his soul because the antagonist sold his soul to the devil hundreds of years ago, but he sacrifices the blood of children to basically pre- preserve his soul from being uh, sacrificed, from being void. Um, and that book feels so, so Eastern European. Um, and so early in Morrison's run, uh, that's a book that everyone should absolutely read this time of year. I think uh, Gothic actually represents in a lot of ways what it is that I love most about horror stories in general. Uh, that really, that psychological horror that... Um, you know, filmmakers do well when they feel like doing those movies, but that comics almost have to lean on heavily in order to really make horror comics because, again, it is missing some of those elements from film. Um, Batman Gothic very much is a psychological horror comic. There's a particular moment in the book towards the end where you realize kind of exactly what's happening and what this story is. When I first read it, I couldn't get over it. It was just like (laughs) shocking and horrifying. And um, again, that's a testament to Grant's skill uh, as a writer, the pacing of the story, the way, the way the information is delivered, the control of information in comics is a huge reason why horror comics are so good. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really salient point because you control the pace of it, honestly, as you read it. And that could really drag out the um, suspense. Yeah, exactly. You could stare at a a panel that's particularly uh, impactful for five minutes if you feel like it. You could pause a movie, but if you're in the theater taking in that experience, you kind of just have to go with it. Um, and so it's just a totally different experience when you're uh, reading a horror comic versus watching a movie. Yeah, that's really interesting too because like the, the thought of that, right, is you'd have to disrupt your experience watching the movie and rewind it. Like it's not the same as like you feel the tension on a page and you're scared of what comes next so you linger. Exactly. Exactly. It's almost like – it's almost like – like it, like it reminds me in a way of those old, um, like choose your own adventure. Like you yeah. kind of create, you kind of create your experience with the book in a way, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's honestly like that's kind of the same reason I think that horror works better um, in games too. Is that like you feel a little more involved in it because you control the pace. You know, and like, even though you are reading a story versus like, you know, in a game, you're fucking controlling the character. So obviously that's an easy way to make cheap tension. Right. Um, but yeah, I do always feel like 
that fear to flip to the next page is such a powerful moment that is intentional, but you can also make it happen as often as you want, which is really cool, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, of course, a special shout out to uh, Dirk Manning's Tales of Mystery. Uh, over the course of that series, I think he's done a lot of really, really cool things um, as far as horror goes. Uh, Pete, you're, what's up? Yeah, I actually wanted to, I was going to let you finish your point, but I was going to say that makes me think of one of the things that you asked like about superheroes in horror. And I think that that book is another example of one of the things that I think works really well in horror, which is when you have really legitimate like stakes and a scary world, but you do get somebody in, in the seat as your POV character, who's like a little bit invincible, who's got plot armor, because I think like that's a really good way to allow you to explore the depths of horror while not totally alienating people because it gives you some sense of hope, you know? Um, and I think that's a really big reason why superheroes uh, mesh with horror so well is like, you kind of need that. Um, you need that like Ash Williams, you know, you need that somebody who's going to take on the army of darkness as it were. <laughs> well, and Phil brought up specifically uh, Batman, the cult and Batman Gothic. And, for me, one of the coolest things about reading those books, especially with the cult, was like, okay, so I know Batman doesn't die because comics and Batman, but what the hell is like, how is this going to resolve? This is crazy. And so you can take characters who you know aren't going to die, you know are going to make it through, who you have seen in every other kind of situation, and then you drag them down, right? You then you drag them down into the murk and you see how they deal with situations that are not common, that are supernatural, that are truly scary. And you see these characters in this new environment and it, it can be really explosive and very cool. And seeing them scared makes you scared, you oh, know, yeah. right? Like when it's like uh, if it's if, if something's scary enough to scare Batman, it's like I don't want to I don't want any part of that, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, to take it back to the New Mutants uh, from the film, these are characters that have superpowers. They're actually, you know, like, they have powers, and they're freaked out. So how am I supposed to deal with this, you know? Most of the protagonists in slasher movies or, you know, most horror films are powerless people. These are characters who have powers and are still scared. So I, I think that's so cool, and I think it creates... Uh, uh, an experience that's going to be really dynamic and unique, actually. Um, so I think that's going to do it for our conversation um, on horror comics. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Let us know your favorite horror comics because obviously there are a ton. I think we could talk for a long time about just our favorite horror books, especially Marco. Um, you know, there are just so many. Uh, before we do exit the conversation, Marco, if you did want to take a minute or two to shout out some of your uh, favorite books, because you're really the horror aficionado on this show. Um, my number one, uh, Swamp Thing. Uh, um, uh, 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 it's okay. I can I can edit him out in post. <laughs> Um, Constantine, especially some of his, um, like maybe after issue 20 and stuff, it starts getting like really, really crazy. Uh, Preacher to an extent, Harold County right now, uh, Nailbiter, um, oh man, so many. And if you guys wanted to like look back at stuff, anything that K 
came out of EC. Uh, anything EC Comics, like that stuff is awesome. Uh, Tales from the Crypt is oh, one of yeah. their big ones. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, 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 I I can't right now, but yeah, there's That's just like right. is a- anywhere, anywhere and everywhere you can you can find them, and they're great. Yeah, and again, uh, if there are any that we missed out on talking about, please do let us know uh, in the comments below this video, or you know, I'll do the routine real quick here. Um, but I think horror comics, uh, it's it, they're unique in the sense that horror comics do horror in some ways better than any other medium, and that's something that's really cool about what comics can do. Uh, and you see that whenever you look at non-traditional, quote-unquote, comic books that use a genre that is more associated with film or books or whatever, and you see the way that comics approach it, it's always really, really cool. And so if you've not you know, dipped your toes into many horror comics, I think all of us here uh, would definitely recommend that you do so because there are some great experiences that you can have. Yeah, I mean, the industry has a really rich history with the genre, so there's certainly no shortage of great stuff for you to check out. Absolutely. Um, And so, again, as far as where you can reach us, you can let us know your thoughts and leave us a like or a rating on iTunes or your podcast hosting platform of choice. Um, You can reach us on social media. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Let us know your favorite horror comics. Um, we're dying to know. I want something spooky to read with Halloween, you know, on the cusp. So give me some of those sweet recommendations. Um, you can write to us, thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, I was joshing you earlier. We will read your email. Uh, we'll respond to it if we're uh, feeling like it. Um, and then last but not least... <laughs> Oh, we're Josh and you just kidding. We're actually jerks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last but not least, we are on YouTube. Again, I say this every week and it remains true. Lots of exclusive content. Uh, a bulk of our New York Comic Con interviews are up. They're out. They're visible. Check those out. We did some really great work with some of the top creators in the industry and some of the creators who are up and coming that you might not even know about who are really cool, who are doing some great stuff. Uh, just to shout out some names really quick. Uh, Gail Simone we talked to. Um, Dan Doherty we talked to. Ed Brisson we talked to. Christopher Sabella we talked to. Chip Zdarsky we talked to. Jerry this Conway. Jerry Conway we talked to. Uh, Mr. Dirk Manning who's, in, who's up right now. Yes. This is Dirk Manning Day. We talked to Dirk. I've, I've interviewed Dirk many, many times. This is one we did with Twisted and the creative team behind uh, Twisted Haunted Highons. So check that out. Um, big stuff coming up on YouTube. So continue to support us on there. Uh, so let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. So thank you guys again for joining us here in episode 51 of the Comics Pals. While we're on the subject of our YouTube offerings, you can go check out um, tomorrow. We'll have episode three of our Until Dawn Let's Play over on our Pals Play show. Uh, speaking of horror stuff, one of my favorite horror games, perfect campy Halloween game story thing to play. Even if you're not a gamer, I think you'll have a good time checking it out. So go, go give it a watch. I'd really appreciate it. Um, and I'm also going to shout out, we did an interview with the creative team of uh, one of Dirk's other books, Mariachi. Um, back at Wizard World, so you can go check that out if you haven't. 
Uh, and then if you want to get more of me, um, I'm back on the regular, uh, writing once a week over at CBR. So you can go check out. I've got two lists uh, that are live and making me money right now about um, 15 Marvel cosplays from some of the Foxy's cosplayers on the web. And then I've got another one that's coming up probably this week about uh, 1960s spider memes. So you can go check that shit out. Help me pay the rent. And, uh, and if you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about horror comics. Awesome, Phil. Um, since we're coming upon Halloween, I'd like to plug a Italian horror film that's fantastic called Suspiria. That is a movie that you should go see because it is one of the best horror movies ever made. Since we're talking about all things spooky, um, I've been listening to a lot of the last podcasts on the left. They don't really need any plugs, but that shit is really good. You should listen to that. Uh, go check out our interviews, like Sean said at the top. And uh, as always, you can find me on social media at Cyborg Bebop. Awesome. Marco. You can find me at WoesMarco on Twitter. Uh, WoesMarco underscore on Twitter and WoesMarco on Instagram. Um, and yeah, come talk to me about your favorite horror stuff. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to get uh, your feedback on some of the books that I might be reading that you might be as well. Um, yeah, and just like just share notes. Awesome, yeah. Uh, and as for me, uh, I'm at Sean Soapbox on Twitter only. You should write to me and tell me where I can find Kale. Because I don't know where <laughs> I can find Kale. Yeah, if you guys have any leads on where Kale is, write to... Uh, 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 shut up, guys. I'm here just to tell you that you can find me uh, at uh, Toto in Toe on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-T-O. <laughs> but in all seriousness i think kale's kale's maybe back next week right i think that's we don't potentially, know yeah yeah we'll Hopefully, never know. maybe tell us where in the world he is <laughs> uh and then uh you can talk to me about kale if you like to and uh <laughs> tell me all the things you miss about him <laughs> All right, well, with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Danny's not here, Mrs. Durris. (laughs) Run, 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 run.